Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. This is Jay. I was doing my Harold Lloyd impression, <laughs> but he doesn't talk because he's in from the silent film era. But I was doing oh, all these stunts and stuff. It was crazy. You would have laughed your ass off. But I'm Shanna. Harold Lloyd, interestingly, is one of the only major silent film people who kind of made a decent transition into sound pictures like he was able to kind of successfully transition right away where okay. uh buster keaton kind of never did he just sound did not suit him and mm. chaplin kind of just avoided it for a really long time oh and they were like the three you know right yes these three are like yeah uh, so harold lloyd uh safety last is the first picture we're covering this week from 1923 probably definitely the oldest movie we've ever covered and possibly the oldest one we ever will not mm. necessarily but possibly yeah possibly i mean there, I, I got a lot of uh, silent that's, pictures that's uh, true. it's an interesting era uh this is directed by uh fred c newmeyer and sam taylor uh and uh, important context to this movie of course is harold lloyd in 1919 uh, picked up what turned out not to be a prop bomb uh, and blew up his hand. So he's missing one thumb and finger on his right hand, which is crazy knowing going into this film. Yeah, because he's you, yeah, you wouldn't know it from the from the stunts he pulls. Yeah, I mean, the dude climbs a building, <laughs> like climbs legit a building. climbs a building. <laughs> Uh, this movie has just that flapper era energy that uh, is totally unique to films of this period. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, we'll we'll get by by the seat of our pants, by gumption, by moxie, by golly. <laughs> yeah, he, he kind of at first I thought his character was like a Frank Grimes sort of guy, but his archetype doesn't really exist in the modern era. He's the Horatio Alger uh, archetype. The, the Horatio Alger was a very popular, I guess, youth novelist in this period. He was a big inspiration, like Reagan. Uh, he, you know, he he wrote boys' adventure stories, but like you know, boys' success stories. You know, scrappy, okay. uh, fake it till you make it. You know, you just go in and you have the gumption and you get by. You know, it, like the glasses character is what. Harold Lloyd called this very reductively. That's all. All this character is. That's interesting because he's referred to by name in the in the movie. Yeah, he actually has the name Harold Lloyd on his pay slip later, which is unique to this one. Normally, he just is the boy, and in the well, credits, he's the boy he's in the, the credits. Boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, he's the everyman. He's out to make good for his gal. Uh, but he's being crushed by capitalism <laughs> at every turn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he He's working in retail. He is working in retail. Uh, one of the uh -huh. things I was thinking when I was watching it this most recent time is, uh, especially in light of uh, the trailer dropping for Weird, the Weird Al story with Daniel oh, Radcliffe yeah. as Weird Al. I want to see Daniel Radcliffe as Harold Lloyd. I think he could do it. Yeah, I think he could. I, he has the look, too. Like I think there, he could pull it off. Like just especially at the beginning, the first couple of shots you get him is like, wow, he looks like Harry Potter in 1922. <laughs> he does, kind of. 
Uh, so the cast is the boy, the girl, the pal, the law, and the floor walker. <laughs> oh, that's what the, that's very what small called? cast. Yeah, the law, the floor walker. The law. Uh, those are the villains. <laughs> uh, so it starts out in Great Bend, Oregon. Great Bend is where uh, he lives at the start. So he's a country boy, sort of like I, I, Great Bend would be sort of rural in this era. Yeah, and he's apparently about to be hanged for. Yeah. Really great. The <laughs> the opening great. opening shot fake out is really cool because you got this noose hanging in the background, you got the bars, you've got the crying mother and girlfriend. You got the priest to go and say they're there. But it's it's all just, you know, a a a, a, a tableau. Beautiful fake out. Yeah, he's just at the train station to he's at leave the, train for the big city. Well, the way the narration, uh, <laughs> like the way the, the opening card says is he's about to leave South or Great Bend forever to go on his final journey or something like that. Right, right. Uh, and the uh, noose is just a male loop. Yeah, uh, it, it's so good because like it just pans out a little bit and you see it's a train station and it's like, oh, this all makes sense now. The bars are just the gate and like, you know, he was on the other side of it saying goodbye to them. And then they just come around and they're on the platform with him. <laughs> yeah. The priest is just some priest, I guess they met. Yeah. Uh, and the girl very notably states, oh, Harold, it would just break my heart if you failed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she I don't like her. <laughs> now, I ain't saying she's a gold digger. <laughs> I am. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's. There are some problems with some of the ways uh, this character uh, is driven. Uh, there, there are issues with her uh, pretty much every time she appears. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, weird. she's not portrayed in a negative light. <laughs> uh, in a positive just, light. Well, like the thing yeah. is, she's uh, well. It's, it's again, she's the driving force of the story. She's the gal he has to make good for, it. and everything's just very amplified because this is vaudeville. Mm. So things are heightened. Things are uh, archetypal. Like a you have a bit. lot of stereotype <laughs> characters in here. One of very uh, bad. yes, we do. There's yeah, one there's, pretty pretty bad. There's a real bad one. I saw this. I was like, oh, are they doing? Oh, they are absolutely <laughs> doing this. Yeah, and well, I'll get like, to him. <laughs> but generally, not too bad about it. Like yeah. as far as the silent era goes, this isn't terrible with that stuff. Like. I, I, Right here as well, there's a black character who is not a source of fun or anything. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, it's a well, weird moment. She sets down her baby and he picks up the baby instead of his luggage when he runs to catch the train. And then he gets on an ice cream wagon instead of the train. This is what his life is just like. I, I think he's just like this every day. He lives like like Mr. Bean. Yeah, yeah, or Mr. Magoo, you know. Or Mr. Magoo, glasses. one of those, yeah. Yeah, he, he lives in just constant chaos. Mm -hmm. And some of it is brought on by himself, some of it is just bad luck, some of it's him not paying attention, but the world's out to get him. Well, and a lot of it's him trying to get one over on the world. A lot of it is, and uh, he doesn't always want to be honest about it. You, you got to meet that kooky capitalism half halfway. You got to fight back to it. Mm -hmm. uh, play every game you can. And he plays a few. 
he plays a lot of them. <laughs> so once he gets to town, we meet his roommate, pal, uh, Limpy Bill, played by Bill Struther, who was a real life human fly. He kind of inspired this movie. He was a dude he knew. Oh, cool. I I didn't realize that he was like an actual one of these. Uh, He's the one he doesn't do the stunt at the end. <laughs> technically, he does. Oh, does he? Uh, he was like he was the stuntman for the long shots. Oh, okay. So where you have the really long shots where you see he's actually just on the side of a building for, you know, a, a really long building, you know, that uh, isn't in a close up. That's mm-hmm. usually Bill. Oh, okay. Because he was a real human fly, so they just wow, had to yeah. do it. Uh, so you know why the character is referred to as Limpy Bill? Uh, I want to know. Because he broke his legs when when they were making this movie, he had a broken leg. Notably, he does climb a couple buildings and he was a stuntman climbing buildings on this. How crazy is this movie? One guy is missing (laughs) a thumb and forefinger and the other dude is missing a leg. These are the stuntmen who climb buildings. Yeah, we're just (laughs) should we like maybe make a different movie since we're missing uh, parts. No, we'll make it work. No, no, no. no. This, This is what we do. This is the stunt era. This make a different movie. What? Just Harold Lloyd goes to Washington. <laughs> well, like it's just actually I'd watch that. Sure. I, I I mean this this uh much precedes Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I don't uh, even know what that's about. Oh, that's Jimmy Stewart wanting to build a Boy Scout camp. Oh um, right, right, right. Um, <laughs> it's a good movie. There's a very bad Billy Jack version of it. Oh. Billy Jack goes to Washington. There's a Simpsons uh, version too, kind of. There is. It's more like the Billy Jack version, where oh. uh, he has a really long filibuster, and then you know he has to kill people because he's Billy Jack. Um, right. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I what what I really love about this movie is that twenties energy. This maybe captures it better than anything else because just the stunts and you know the the era of the flagpole sitter and you know everybody yep. cramming into. Uh, a phone booth for a college or, prank, you know? Yeah. Or, or like <laughs> the, the, uh, just having your lunch on top of a overhanging girder at a construction site. The high just, steel. Yeah. Like, was that a thing? Did people actually do that? Or is that something? Absolutely. That's only on TV? Holy shit. Yeah, no. And, and that's how we're introduced. That's sort of like the context for bill being, uh, uh, a human fly but like human flies were kind of a thing in this era too it's just you know people were interested in seeing people do death-defying stunts and there weren't a lot of laws that said you couldn't do these things so they just did them well yeah the law in this era i've got my own kind of creative interpretation for how it works here i think everybody did <laughs> that, that's sort of the impression i get there's a lot more it's kind of a libertarian democracy at this point in time. Everybody's just kind of doing their own thing and everybody kind of has their own interpretation. If you know the police, they'll be kind of cool with whatever. And even if you don't, it's like, if you can outrun the police, it really doesn't matter that much what they think. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, No, it's like, Hey, if, if you outrun the police, you win. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's GTA rules. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what kind of crazy shit you're doing. If if you win, you've got away with it. It's okay. Well, like It is on, now legal. On every level, it's fake it until you make it. 
<laughs> which is totally what he's doing. We we, yes. we catch up with him in the town and he's just buying all this expensive jewelry, uh, living beyond his means and sending it back to the girlfriend. And like he's we, we find that he's pawned their phonograph and that they're two weeks behind on rent uh, and really great gag where the landlady knocks and they hide in their coats on the wall <laughs> they're hanging on the wall yeah and then and then there, she goes away so pal goes to sit and he knocks on the wall because they only have one chair right so so harold knocks on the wall and pal gets up on the coat so that harold can sit down <laughs> So good. Like, really well executed. Just them climbing up and disappearing into their coats hanging on the wall. Just so well done. One of the laws of this era, nobody has peripheral vision. Nobody looks up or behind them ever. You may not do this unless somebody points up. And all shenanigans. Like, shenanigans are a law. If you can shenanigan your way out of something, I'm sorry. That's just like you've been legally outfoxed. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're we're gonna see how he uh pretty soon how he gets away with being half an hour late to work yeah although to be fair that kind of was a whole misadventure in and of itself that he didn't well, need to yes. do but all of it's kind of wild but like one of the thing is he's sending letters to this girl every single day they mention <laughs> yeah he the way they say it too i like it's like on certain days this is how I imagine they talk. On certain days, he would send the letters. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. I I figured they have to be mostly filled with lies, right? They would because he she thinks he's the general manager of the department store. Or she well, doesn't seem surprised by it. No, she seems thrilled by it, but she doesn't yeah. really ex- expect it at the time. I think she's just painted a picture of him being very wealthy. Because, like, oh, yeah. the one that we see, he says he's going to send this Tiffany chain pretty soon for the pendant he's sending. It's just the pattern didn't suit him right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, the pattern. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, and it's just like he's sending these letters every single day. He must be have this whole fanfic universe based around himself <laughs> in the city. Yep. But of course my version, my imagining of it is he doesn't actually know what successful people do. So it's just, I went to the business factory and did a business. I circled back with synergy. Uh, See, this they, is before you know, any of, of that kind of language. This is oh, just sure, like but they had, bootstraps. Sure they had... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that was. But like. This is... Oh, God, yeah, this is like pre, pre, pre boomer. Yeah, this is a hundred years ago. This was shot in 1922. Yeah, holy shit, this is a hundred years ago. Yeah. So we see that he's always early for work because he's a real go-getter. He's a real go-getter. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and like he gets earlier every time. So the uh, I guess the, the linen guy even comments on it. He's like, dude, what are you doing, man? And he's there to write his latest letter of lies, I guess, because he's just, you know, writing. Oh, that's what. Oh, yeah. But didn't even think about it. Yeah, that's what he's doing. <laughs> and I guess that's just better because he he can sit on the stoop here rather than try to vie for the one chair that he has in his 
shared bachelor one-room apartment. Uh, he's going to have to sh- sell that chair pretty soon anyway. I guess so. So he's writing this letter, and the towel or the linen supply truck is there. So he figures, oh, I'll sit in that nice linen instead. And the guy closes him up in the back, you know, not not realizing he's back there and takes off with him. Yeah, so we have this great little bit where we see the linen guy talking to the, uh, I don't know, the deliver, the warehouse guy or whatever, <laughs> and, like, just really overdoing the deaf bit. Like, like you could just see him, like, shouting into the guy's ear, and he's going, what? You got to do yeah, everything just, really big. Yes, yes. Just This is the dawn of film, right? The, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you really got to set up everything, and it's it's sort of establishing the original visual shorthand for film. Like we're still kind of seeing that like at this point, it's sort of been developed. So you have types, mm. but like, you know, you didn't have sound. So you kind of yeah, had to establish you... all of it. Well, yeah, like that's, that's, that's how you have to communicate that this guy can't hear is like, you have to have the guy like basically like stop just short of grabbing a megaphone Mm-hmm. And shouting it into him, and I, 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 I like that because like, oh, yeah. he's deaf. This is going to come up, and so he he gets trapped in the back. He gets taken several blocks down until he opens it up, and he can't get him to take him back because he's too hard of hearing to understand. Like, yeah, You're going to make me late for work. He's like, what? No, I don't know what time it is. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he tries to get on a streetcar. Oh my god, this streetcar is like, um, so the, so tr- I, thought the tr- I thought the truck from uh, the third part of Lucia was packed. Oh, the yeah. streetcar is packed. I have ne- I don't, like, we don't even have people hanging off the streetcar. We've got people hanging off of people hanging off of people hanging off the streetcar. Right, because that's what happens to him is he gets on some guy's back and that guy is on someone else's back and he's just not attached. And just like he ends up stuck on someone's back in the street when the streetcar pulls away. First, he gets on the wrong one because he sees this one that's crowded and doesn't stop to wonder why is nobody getting on this empty one? Yeah, him like looking back at those people like, ha ha, bunch of rubes. (laughs) (laughs) I can put my feet up. And then it, you know, goes in the other direction. Like, oh, no. Yeah. So, yeah, he ends up pulling the guy off of the streetcar, too. Yeah. And so he like he he has to run up. He he clambers onto the side of it and it's really full up. So he tries to get on the side of a car that's parallel to it. Oh, yeah. He does this thing where he like. It's he like, like a Fast and the Furious. Yeah, he like makes eyes at the guy. Uh, the 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 guy who's driving the car is the director, Fred Newmeyer. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and you know he's like, you know, they make eyes, like, you yeah, know, maybe. And the guy's into it. He's like, oh yeah, th- that'll be kind of fun. You can do like a transition from the streetcar to my car. Just <laughs> that sounds like a fun stunt to see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he, he does. <laughs> Well, he starts to, but then, you know, they they go in different directions, so he just ends up in the street. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. He, he, you know, he, he stretches out, and then the car turns the other direction, and uh, the, the streetcar the other way, so he just falls off. So the driver stops, but he gets a ticket because he's parked next to a fire hydrant. 
so Harold is like he gets in to be picked up and is handed the ticket and hands the ticket to the guy and just leaves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hitches a ride on a different car. No, no. He sees an ambulance and a stretcher. Oh, yeah, the ambulance and the stretcher. So what he does is he lies down beside the stretcher, just waits for them to pick him up and take him away. He just pretends to have been in a car accident, so he's just lying in the street. They're like, oh, oh my goodness. They put him on and start driving him back. The the absolute chaos of the POV shot of the ambulance. Like, just the the 20s streets before there were laws that governed streets. Oh my god, yes. Wow. Just horses and cars and people everywhere. It's not paved. It's just pure chaos at high speed yep yep speed limit what's that yeah it's suggestion maybe yeah yeah <laughs> and he's like trying to pretend to be unconscious but also trying to look out the window to get the ambulance to stop by his work yeah and you know ultimately he just like picks up the the tube to the front it's like stop here at the next corner so i can get off <laughs> Yeah. So, so he gets to work, and there's a big sign. It's like, oh, you can't clock in. You have to show up at 8 a.m. sharp, no exceptions. And he sees someone getting chewed out for showing yeah. up late too. And it's like, you know, if this happens again, you're going to be there's going to be a position open at this place, young man, sort of thing. You're gonna be fired. And he's like. I don't want this to happen to me. So he poses as a mannequin. He poses as a mannequin. He steals a stool because this is one of the legless mannequins and somehow attaches himself to it and grabs like the fur coat and hat and sets himself by where the the labor guy, the laborer or whatever is picking up mannequins. He just picks them up and... (laughs) Hauls him in past and like hauls him in. <laughs> he he like clocks in as he's being taken past. Oh yeah, but he surreptitiously. Op- but first he changes the hands of the clock. Oh yeah, of course, because he can't <laughs> punch in late. No, no, it's like hey, he he he. You might have seen him walk in the building at eight o'clock, and you might or eight thirty, and you might have seen him mess with the hands. But on that card it says eight, so he wins. He wins. He, he wins. found the he, loophole. He was. He technically cannot be chewed out for being late. And he's he's carried into his workspace and then sneezes and the guy freaks. He's like, "Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ! I'm carrying a person." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, "Oh, it's just Harold Lloyd. Must be late again. Uh, didn't feel like coming through the vents today." <laughs> I I really like this bit where he's creeping along the floor behind a bin just the way he's walking on all fours it's it's amazing and he's trying here's where we first see it he's trying to avoid the floor manager his nemesis mr stubbs this man is everybody's nemesis he is like i said about his tiny tiny glasses they're like a monocle that's two glasses like just (laughs) he really means business like he's the snootiest ever he doubled the monocle for when you really will. I never. 
And like just from the very first moment you see him, because it's him reacting to seeing Harold Lloyd creeping along because the guy with the bin, again, the paths diverge. So he's just creeping along uh, with nothing in front of him. (laughs) (laughs) He's just creeping along on the floor. (laughs) And the floor walker guy, it's like his monocle, his dual monocle, his bionicle is just threatening to explode off of his face. He's so mad. (laughs) He's just walking along beside him, waiting for him to get up and notice. And like somewhere along the way, Lloyd recognizes that he's there. So he just keeps going until he gets him next to an elevator. And then he just hops wildly from his (laughs) all fours position like he's a crazy person. And he frightens him onto the elevators. And the elevator's going up. So now. He wins. He can't be chewed loophole. out for walking like a frog. Yeah, no, loophole. He he, he outfoxed them again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So shenanigans. <laughs> he base. got away with the frog walk. And so he gets to work. He is a fabric counter salesman. Uh, and oh, boy, this looks like a wild job in this era. Oh, I bet it's a wild job in any era. But, like, especially then but when here, a yeah. lot of people were still making a lot of their clothing. Uh, yeah. Like, this this was a lot more common. People were doing a lot more handmade stuff for this. And it's like an, a sea of Margaret Dumont's, uh, the, the old lady who <laughs> was after uh, the, the Marx Brothers most of the time. It's like every oh, character yeah, yeah. here is one of them. Yeah, there's – it is just – so crowded i have never seen this many of that person in one place and it's saturday they mentioned because it's a half day and it's payday yeah so this is before the five-day work week that didn't exist yet oh yeah because <laughs> i was thinking too, well, right? does he get oh, saturday it's the half day i think he might get sunday off he probably gets sunday off because you know but, Although uh, I'm not sure, because it seems to be the next day that he's doing this. No, I guess it's been a while because he still sends the chain to the girls sometime in between this and there. Oh, yeah. And he has to. It's just it goes by so fast. The momentum, it feels like it's just like all in one 24 hour period. But he has to get the message out to the newspaper. So that's at least a day for that to happen. Yeah, I think probably from there to there it's one day, but here, like, she comes from the from Great Bend to the city at some point in here. And she so didn't fly. No, she certainly didn't fly. Probably <laughs> by train. Uh, probably. I'm guessing maybe like a week's time or something. Hard to say. Hard to say, yeah. But we get a lot of fabric gags. There, There's like, he's... There's this lady who's got a sash and he's like pulling fabric and he doesn't realize he's pulling her her sash. And so he like spins her off a stool. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he he rips he rips his shirt. He rips the manager's uh, coat. Right. He's tearing some fabric and uh, the floor walker's suit jacket just gets pulled completely in half all the way up the back. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's this one or another one, but he uh, takes a lady's mink or a cat for a lady's mink. Right, because they're like right next to each other on the floor and he like hands just... the mink to her. I think that's the second one, but there, there's so many of them. There's two sequences of just fabric gags. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
this particular one's pretty short. Uh, it's like the store closes at 1 p.m. Uh, so we. But we he's see, got the last customer. Right, the last customer who oh, just wants I you to hate go through. The last customer, don't be the last customer. <laughs> I've don't I've do been it. through this. You know, we we both worked retail, and it's the worst thing. Like they come in right at the close. It's like, can you look? Can I look at this? And can I do this? Could you find this? And like. And we, at the we, end of it all, <laughs> she just wanted a free sample, <laughs> and it was yeah. the first thing that he showed her. Of course, I mean, like uh, yeah. th- this gag is so old; it's a hundred years old, and it was probably old then. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, yeah. Don't be but this person. They still do a gag for hundred years. This. I know. That's why it's an evergreen. Uh, so, uh, uh, like during this whole thing, we see uh. His pal, Bill, is working on the high steel and he gets off for lunch and he's supposed to come meet him. But like he takes so long. To oh, yeah, uh, deal to, with this lady that this he wanders lady. off. Yeah. Which is why when he leaves, he doesn't run into Bill, but he runs into this policeman. Oh, yeah. His old buddy from uh, East Bend or Great Bend. Bend. Yeah. Uh, Jim, Jim Taylor. Jim yeah. Taylor. Uh, uh, old hometown buddy, and they they grub off a bit, you know. They they he, he like you know he can d- knock his cap off and kind of like kick him in the butt and stuff. Ah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're you know roughhousing, right? And they, they roughhouse, which I think is really fun. And again, it's sort of an interesting element to how much times have changed. Is that I can't yeah. imagine this now. It, it's uh, it really is a truly more democratic time in a weird way. Imagine. Even if the cop is your best friend, imagine doing this. Imagine going up and like knocking on his duty. cap off from behind while he's on duty. Yeah. And he doesn't see you. And he then he's both like, oh, are. it's you, you silly goose. Oh, no. I mean, he can't put on airs because they've known each other since they were kids. Whereas yeah. I don't feel like that's such a thing anymore. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a more weirdly stratified society in uh, things like in terms of uh, – people's work uh and it's interesting that this movie is sort of grappling with the the whole thing of uh position of power and the appearance of power whereas you know you see that it it really is a completely non-existent distinction yeah (laughs) so so uh what is it bill bill yeah bill bill ends up showing up after afterwards and daryl's like hey check this out you guess you should see how much pull i have with the police around here uh why don't you shove that guy and i'll do that thing where i kneel behind him and then he falls over me and then i'll just make the whole thing square up yeah he he wants to act like a big shot and acting like a big shot is always what screws him in this movie yeah he 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 might get screwed by other things, but if he acts like a big shot, he will definitely get screwed, Instant as he does armor. here. Yeah, Instant. Because yeah. uh, it's the wrong cop. This is yeah. uh, the guy in the credits as the law. <laughs> <laughs> and this cop holds a grudge. He really holds a grudge. So, uh, you know, Bill pushes him over, and when the guy falls over and like he see uh harold sees that he's not the right guy he just hides in a box <laughs> <laughs> yes 
<laughs> so it's not really karma because Bill's one's got to pay for it for the rest of the movie. <laughs> well, until Harold has to start paying for it. Well, yeah. Okay. Yes. It all comes around. It does. It, it, I mean, I guess the, the second half of the movie is him paying for it. Bill yeah. didn't have to run from the cop if it weren't for. <laughs> Although I wonder if he maybe has warrants out because they don't show his face in the paper later. <laughs> But like Maybe. Bill is chased off uh, and he escapes by scaling a building, which is completely real. Like we just yes. see him scurry up the side of a building and it rules. And this dude had a broken leg. <laughs> <sighs> Meanwhile, the cop is chasing him up the building. Sort of. Um, sort of. Well, trying to. Trying He's to. attempting to chase him up the building. And Harold is across the street. And watching nervously and just destroying this guy's flowers. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just keeps pulling them apart, like, through the whole thing. And then, like, at the end, we we cut back to them and the guy's just got one flower left and a whole bunch of stumps. <laughs> <laughs> and, Harold, and Harold just sidles away. And that, that's his whole thing. Like he, he just, does. He's just like, okay, well, I'm going to see here. Chaos. I better get out of here. <laughs> Uh, and the cop, of course, swears vengeance because he's got to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because obviously, obviously the guy gets away from the cop. It's... Of course, he, he climbs up a building and takes off across the rooftops. It's his his thing. But does not does he not understand that he lost this uh, chase and that he you can't seek vengeance? He he lost. Yeah. I mean, he he got out foxed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But Girl you know, he, state. yeah, I don't know. But you know, he he goes back. He, he, we're gonna have to continue to deal with him, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, I guess he's the hero cop. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this is the unfortunate scene where he goes to the pawn shop. <laughs> oh yes. Very rough ethnic stereotype running the pawn shop. Uh, we were watching the Criterion disc, as Leonard Malton says on the commentary. This was the only character who owned a pawn shop in this era of film. If you had a pawn shop in a movie, this is the guy who was behind the counter invariably. That's just, you know, it, it's it, it is the vaudeville shorthand pawn shop owner. But uh, it's it, it's it, it's gross. It's, <laughs> it's gross. Bad. He's doing the. He, he's doing the money grubbing thing with his hands. In fact, it's even a, there's even a bit about it. Yeah, because... Harold Lloyd does it too. It's just mirroring him. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's bad. It's pretty bad. It's bad. Uh, huh? It's straight out of Merchant of Venice. It's like 400 yeah. years old. Uh, but there's a really great visual gag here as well with the businessman's lunch. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, I like that. Because the price of the chain is fifteen dollars and fifty cents, his paycheck was only fifteen bucks. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't even a paycheck; it was cashed in an envelope. Yes, it was a, a pay en- envelope uh, yeah. that he just tears open and has his name on it. But it's it's cool because he had that other fifty cents, and he was sort of dreaming about paying fifty cents to get this lunch. Looks like really good lunch, and. But for 50 yeah, this, cents. Unreal. For 50 cents, yeah. But this gag is great because as he's counting out the quarters or the no, the dimes, mm-hmm. each time he puts one on the table, he looks over back to the thing and one of the pieces of the lunch, like the toast or the eggs or whatever, will just disappear. Yeah. And it's just like, oh. 
and like just as him counting them out and they all disappear and he walks out and he kind of gazes at the restaurant it's like well no and he just tightens his belt tightens and up his on. belt yeah like gumption gumption yeah well <laughs> bootstraps ain't gonna pull themselves up yeah so he sends the chain to the girl and the girl becomes convinced that he's made it and that she's gonna come surprise him and yeah. mom is all in on it. it's like oh yes this is a great idea yeah, he's definitely made it, not he's foolishly spent every penny he owns on this thing. To the point of not eating or paying his rent. Yeah. Uh, yep. And so we cut to the second of the fabric counter, uh, Margaret Dumont, like, mob. I thought the first one was insane. <laughs> this is the big one. Like, they're, they're Holy going Holy fucks. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's insanity here. Uh, there's... Um, there's a part where there's two old ladies uh, doing a tug of war and he like scissors the thing they're pulling and just like these matronly battleships just flying through the air. <laughs> uh, and I ahead. like the bit where the sweet little old lady like just wanted a hand. So he's like, did somebody drop a $50 bill on the floor? Yeah. Who dropped that $50 bill? <laughs> And everybody, like, kneels down so he can help the sweet little old lady. Well, every single rich lady there bends down, yeah. and she's the only one left standing, so he hands it to her. Uh, that old lady uh, notably played his beloved grandmother in his first feature, uh, Grandma's Boy. <laughs> oh? Oh. It's kind of cute. <laughs> cool. Right on. There's uh, that bit where he's where that lady wants a yard and a half and he measures it against two ladies. Oh He's, he does some swashbuckling with his yardstick. There's a lady with an umbrella and they're fighting. <laughs> yeah. She's <laughs> yeah. yeah then... Cause of course this is like, this is retail hell. They're not, they're not like in line patiently or whatever. This is, this is black Friday. Yeah, it's but, like Black Friday every day. Every day. Work. Yeah. That yeah. 20s Vim. And, of course, the floor walker sees him doing the swashbuckling, and it's he doesn't have a problem with that. He has a problem that he's not wearing a jacket. You know, he's not wearing his full suit. He took the jacket off. He's in his shirt sleeves. Oh, right, because wow. he ripped his jacket or something, probably. I, I think it was torn off of him by the mob. Could be. Uh, probably. We we see that happen to his Oh yeah, the, that's right. Yeah, they tear off his jacket, <laughs> fight over it, realize what they just got, and throw it away. Yeah, because like the the floor walker pulls him away and sends someone to take care of him. He's like, "How dare you work in your shirt sleeves? This is an abomination!" And he turns to see the other guy who he just sent there, and he's like just in tatters. He's like already defeated by this mob. Yeah. He like he goes back and there's this bald guy. He uses his head as a mirror to recomb his hair. <laughs> Good optical effect. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> and the girl arrives. Yep. Yeah, um, finally, it's calmed down a little bit so he can uh, shaft his coworkers with all the work so he can go chat with her. Yeah, he leaves the counter and he kind of tries to be a big shot with them. There's one like the, the horriest of visual gags that may have been introduced here, but the guy in the background overfilling the milkshake, looking at oh, him and yes. the girl. Yeah. It's like, wow, what an antique. 
but this could yeah. have been the first. I don't know. Could have been. I don't know. I mean, it's it's from that era, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, he he is being well. Like at first, he's just uh, talking nice to his coworkers, like, "Hey, hey, this lady needs this thing done." But then he sees her, and he's like, uh, "You'll get this done. Do I have to supervise every single sale?" Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, "Oh, he's such a dick to his workers. That's so good." Well, she she he's wants to. It. Yeah, she wants him to be like provably in charge, and he knows that. And so he's kind of acting horribly because yeah, being and in charge means that's what like, you do. What the fuck, dude? I, again, I, I think there's kind of an interesting side note to that is that, like, yeah, this is what you do if you're a successful capitalist is you're just a dick to everyone. Yeah, like this is this is what success looks like to him. Yeah, because he's never had it. Uh, yeah. and never seen it outside of the, and everything uh, floor manager. Well, yeah, everything that he's been on the receiving end of is this way. You know, he's being uh-huh. crushed by capitalism, so he feels if he has to be successful, he must crush others with it. That might be <laughs> how a lot of problems got perpetuated through the generations. Yeah, just saying, you know. <laughs> this might is, be. This like, is a... Because this is, this is I don't know if it's the greatest generation. Com- yeah, I don't know if it's intentional commentary, because... Anti-capitalist propaganda would have been pretty rare in this time. No, not at all. See, the yeah, thing is, like, this is before, this is prior to the motion picture code. So you had a lot more people who were kind of more outspoken towards a leftist angle. And oh, it was really? totally fine to do that. Up until oh. like the 30s and 40s when they started, it was like, no, we got to create a code and we have to have strict morality and we got to look over the guidance of this. Up until 33-ish, it was anything goes. <laughs> okay, I just thought, I, I thought more like in that area, anti-capitalism like hadn't taken off at all. It kind of had, well, it was sort of the flourishing era of that in America before it was really put down by McCarthyism. Uh, uh, but, you know, there, there's a bit of it there. Uh, and in this, I, I do feel like it's a commentary on the Horatio Alger thing of the you just got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and scrabble for success because he's doing it through cheating and he's doing oh, yeah. it through sneakiness. And he's using the shenanigan loophole as much yeah. as he can. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I just find it interesting the way they sort of develop his concept of uh, capitalist success. And it's just you kind of got to defeat your way to the top. Uh, yeah. But so. He he has been reprimanded uh, for working his shirt sleeves. There, there's the part first, I guess, where he has to jump in and work at the counter and the girl realizes he's just working there for a second. And she looks horrified. Yeah, it's like it's like, oh, my God, he's just a dude working a job. I'm so turned off. <laughs> why don't you go flip burgers? At- she is. Yeah, it's it's like that. It's she's it's disgusted. Like that, but, yeah, uh, and he uh, you know he has to talk it up. It's like no, I'm just demonstrating salesmanship. Sure this is the way you done. do it. And they're just giving him these looks, like dude, shut up. Like come on, man. Up. But it's working on her. Yeah, well, she doesn't seem that bright. But he gets sent to the general manager's office from the thing from earlier. But, oh yes. And he goes to the GM. And he is too nervous, so he tears up and eats the complaint. 
<laughs> right? So he has the GM like half of it. All right. It's no, it's missing a diamond out of the middle that he somehow. Oh, that's right. Because he had folded it and, <laughs> and chewed a corner out of it, and then. Uh, <laughs> it's an exact perfect diamond in the middle. Very good gag. Yes. But he gets reprimanded for working in his shirt sleeves. Like, what do these, uh, you know, high class matrons think of this? Yeah, simply abominable. Don't let me hear about this again. <laughs> And leaving the office, the girl sees him, so she thinks suddenly that he is the general manager, and she wants to see the office. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, let me into your office. I want to go in the office. First of all, it must have been a different time when the general manager's office could be seen from the floor. Right. There's there's always at least one or two barriers between them and the peons now. Oh, you got to be insulated. Yeah. Uh, and he, uh, that's why you, you can't have windows. You got to look through security cameras. Well, at least in this one, they have uh, frosted glass you can't see in there. Yes. yes. Uh, but he does see the GM leave after a bit. Like, first, there's a gag where uh, he and the floor walker are like he's working with his girl and the floor walker is walking with the customer. And the two girls end up stopped. And like he's walking arm in arm with the floor walker for a moment. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. very weird. And then he sees the general manager leave his office. Is like, well, and she's like, I did want to see your office. It's like, oh, I guess we could try that. <laughs> I mean, shenanigans, right? We could yeah, yeah. maybe make that work. Oh sure. Uh, so so they go into the office, and there's that. There's there's the switchboard. Yeah, he, the, he has the, a uh, panel of switches. Yeah, like five like five buttons you push, and he accidentally pushes one of them. First, just this dude shows up. Yeah, it's like you rang for me, and he he does this thing where like he puts a dollar bill on the top of the waste basket, and it's like, uh, hurry and take out this garbage for me right away. And he kind of like makes eyes at him about you know see that dollar bill there, and then when the guy is. <laughs> Taking it out, he caref- he like surreptitiously snags the dollar bill off the top and puts it back in his pocket. Yeah, yeah. We see the guy later on digging through the trash for it. Like, where is it? Which is pretty funny. Uh, although, like again, he's you know exploiting everyone else. Oh yes, of <laughs> but, course. You know, he's got to get his way. Because he didn't give the dollar bill. No, but you know he's you, know, you got to fake it. Uh, yeah. And. The girl, it's like, oh, I want to ring one of the buttons. That looks like fun. <laughs> yeah, see who comes up. See which monkey will dance for you. Yeah, let's waste some people's time. Uh, and she calls the floor walker. Yeah, so he... <laughs> and, and this leans into a little bit into my theory about the rules of this universe. He hides behind a newspaper at the desk. I think it's the desk blotter. Or, yes, it's yes, it huge. is. huge. Uh, yes, and not a thing that you would normally hold up, but he's just like <laughs> holding it up in front of him and he dresses down the floor walker. Yeah, he says, Stubbs, I don't ever want to hear you bring complaints about that uh, Harold Lloyd ever again. Right. And so my theory is, and this is going to be supported a little bit later, is that Stubbs should have been able to recognize the difference between the general manager who he must obey at all costs and his arch nemesis. But it's Bugs Bunny. The difference in their voice, yes. But (laughs) 
he didn't he can't hear the voice he could only see the huge all caps text reading reaming him out yeah i mean he 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 lives within the reality of a slapstick movie yeah exclusively. So, as far as he so there was no way he could have known that he wasn't being reamed up by the manager and so the the great comic escalation of this is that you know he he gets out of this and they leave and then yeah. he 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 sits down on the the entire switch thing and everybody comes in there's like all these doors and like secret panels that open up it's like six doors open people come out of every crevice and he just like stands up Im- immediately and kind of blends in with them <laughs> and I'm like huh what's going on here this is strange he sort of looks around until they all walk away like okay and then like he's he's still standing there i like to do this sometimes and pretend it's a fire drill (laughs) (sighs) and then he sees the gm coming so he has the girl pretend like he doesn't have her pretend to be passed out he like has her close her eyes and open her mouth for a surprise but it makes her look like she's passed out and he's like fanning her (laughs) and then he explains that to the gm that she's fainted now her eyes are closed so she can't see this she can't see the text right and like he goes over to the door so i guess you know like again it's it's that sort of thing where anything that happens uh on like where the camera isn't looking doesn't exist either yep uh again and bugs bunny rules so he sends the gm for water uh, and he he's able to to march her out of there pretending she's passed out. But first she has to like take her time and gather her makeup and all that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then it's just like, come on. And even then, once they get out of there, she's forgotten her purse in the office. So he has to go back for it. <laughs> yeah. So this is a great gag because the GM's in a meeting with uh, somebody. Who I knows, think it's Stubbs matter. again. I don't, I don't Maybe think it not. is this time. Yeah, maybe Stumps just some other dude. Is actually not important enough. No, I um, guess not. I thought he was like like the head of the store, but no, he's the floor manager. He's he just yeah, dresses he, like he's important. He's middle management. He's he is uh, also faking it till he makes it in in his own story. <laughs> yes, he is. He's like, well, if I have two monocles, and if I and if I sound like this and say, well, I never a lot. Yeah, well, like he he is doing his thing where he's just mean to everyone who is lower than him, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he he's doing what uh, uh, Harold Lloyd is uh, cosplaying as yes. <laughs> when the girl shows up. Yeah, so here's a bit where he's like he wants to knock on the door, but he's so nervous about it, and he just keeps going approaching it different ways and then stopping it right at the last second yeah and then he finally overhears what's going on in the office yeah it's like i will give one thousand dollars to someone who can come up with a new idea something that'll bring people to this store uh people don't have good ideas someone with gumptions someone yeah blah, blah, blah. Moxie. yeah uh, so yeah uh, Harold Lloyd bursts in and is like, hey, I know this guy who does a human fly act. And general manager's into it right away. He's like, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> human fly. Someone uh, dangerously climb the building and maybe die. You know what? That will draw a crowd. 
sure will. Twenties, we can do this. That's cool. Sure. <laughs> yep. So he calls up Bill and he'll give him five hundred dollars. <laughs> and his line is like, "Oh wow, five hundred dollars! I'd climb all the way to heaven for that much." <laughs> Five hundred dollars. Uh, I mean, in 1922 money. It was a hundred years ago. The it was. I don't know what that money. would be. That's a lot of money. Um, I mean, his weekly wage is fifteen bucks. Exactly, and we saw that huge businessman's meal for fifty cents. So yeah. it's it's hard to gauge, but you know, it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, we see that there are two ladies who have decided to ride together, and uh, one of them says to send home his car. Or send home her car, so he sends the girl in her car to the hotel <laughs> to make it seem like he's got this car. He's waiting got for the him. fancy car, yeah. yeah. Of course. Well, I guess back then all cars were fancy cars. Right. Uh, and he did not have one, you know. No, he did. No, <laughs> no, he did not. So he sends her home, and they start advertising the human fly event, uh, and the face is blanked out on the ad. Because uh, I, I do feel that Bill probably has warrants out, and at the very least, they know that this one cop is after him. Oh, yeah, he, he swore vengeance to the grave. Maybe if you do that, you're allowed to – well, you're setting yourself up to get out Fox because that's just like the same thing as, I'll get you for this. Well, exactly. And he – like even with the, the face blurred out, he's able to recognize it. There's a comical drunk who's another caricature character. This guy, he's just uh, – I love this guy. Yeah, he, he finds the newspaper and he's looking at it. It's like, oh, it looks like they ran out of ink. And he shows it to the law. Uh, so yeah. both of them go to the Bolton building. Yep, yep. And he's uh, standing there looking like he's standing guard. Well, because he he's pretty sure that the guy who's going to climb the building is the guy who climbed the building to escape him. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, it's like, a reasonable I, thing to assume. Yeah, I get it. Uh, and Harold and Bill see him there and like, oh, shit, we got to get rid of this cop. We got to ditch the cop. Got to ditch this cop. Uh, soon to be a refrain in the movie, which is very good. <laughs> and I like Harold's first attempt to get rid of him like he's oh there's someone suspicious across the street and he like walks with him to this tool shed that he tries to lock him in <laughs> he tries to lock him in but the tool shed has a door on the other wall that's wide there's open another he door goes through he's <laughs> like there's nobody in there man well like he just starts to walk away and he's like ha 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 uh you know brushing off his hands and the cop comes out the other door and sees him and is like Huh. And he starts following him and he realizes he's being tailed and that he's now suspicious. And like, uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> now we're both in trouble. So he there, there's it's a really great stunt of a passing car that he just escapes on the running boards and disappears. Oh, yeah. Th- that thing where like you're chasing somebody and the car goes and the car goes by and they're just gone. Yeah, and we see him just, you know, crouched on the the running boards, and he burns his butt on a torch that someone has running next to the street. He (laughs) turns it around to burn someone else's. (laughs) No reason to do that, but... (laughs) Yeah, just for fun. (laughs) Whatever. My favorite of his attempts to get rid of the cop is the second one with Kick Me. Oh, yeah, so... (laughs) So he takes some chalk and writes... uh, 
kick me backwards, like in reverse mirrored hmm. kind of on the thing uh, where the cop was, where the cop's going to be standing. And then he like goes to pretend he's tying up his shoe and he bumps the cop into the thing. So he's got a big kick me sign on his back. And the drunk is like, oh, hell yeah. He kicks uh, him. <laughs> he is so, like so jazzed to kick him. Why doesn't this cop have a death vendetta against the drunk now, too? Because he's a comical drunk. It's what comical drunks do. <laughs> maybe <laughs> he's not expected. Maybe he can only have one death vendetta at once. Well, like he does leave with the drunk for a minute. Like he's going yeah. to haul him off and they're like, OK, we've, we've dealt with this. But then he stops to like talk to some lady and the drunk sees the kick me sign again and it's still funny so he kicks him again <laughs> and the cop is kicked into the street in a crowd and he just wanders off <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile Harold just leans against the pillar <laughs> and now he's got the kick me on his back right so he gets kicked a couple times uh and then, so, like, the cop is still lingering around because he lost the drunk, although the drunk is also lingering around because we'll see him throughout the the climax, uh, yeah. which is, like, half of the movie is just half all Half of the climax. movie is him climbing the building. Like, this is kind of the birth of action cinema in a weird sort of way. I feel like both of our movies are sort of interesting keystones of proto-summer blockbuster action movie cinema. Mm. Yet, is didn't The Rock make a movie where he's got to climb a skyscraper? Uh, I believe the movie's called Skyscraper. I'm not really sure what he does in it, but yeah, it's you know it's him in a skyscraper. I think it's sort yeah. of a towering inferno thing there, like uh, it's on fire maybe. I don't know. I never. I saw thought it. it was a Die Hard. It uh, did look a lot like a Die Hard. Like yeah. when I saw the trailer, I thought it was a Die Hard remake. So it it looks Die Hardy. I don't know. <laughs> Didn't see it. <laughs> But so the, the cop is lingering and they're like, OK, here's the idea. Harold, you climb the first floor and we'll switch up <laughs> the second floor. It's, it's totally cool. We got this. Yeah, I'll just put on. Yeah, you just pretend you're the mystery man. We'll switch. I'll put on your jacket and hat and yeah. we'll fool everybody. Easy peasy. And Harold starts to climb and he grabs an awning and it. Uh, falls down and knocks out the cop for a second who falls over and sees Bill in the crowd. <laughs> and so the chase begins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so he, he climbs the first floor without, you know, everybody's jazzed. We, we see him legitimately climb up this floor, which is pretty cool to see just to begin with. It's a pretty simple one, but, you know, this dude with who's missing a thumb on one hand is climbing a building. That's that's wild. Yeah. yeah. But at the second floor, he does meet Bill, but the cop arrives right away. So he has to run. He's like, <laughs> you'll have to go one more floor till I ditch the cop. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what's going to keep happening. <laughs> it's it's good every time. Like every time we get a bill, uh, a, a bill, uh text screen it's always like dash 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 till i ditch the cop <laughs> every time yeah so he's going up the next floor uh there's the bag of popcorn that gets dumped on him 
Oh, yeah, so he gets attacked by all these birds, and one just won't leave him alone. It's just flapping on his head. Yeah, he's, like, trying to put his hat back on, and he keeps putting it on the bird. <laughs> so he, like, gets he gets the bag the popcorn was in, and he pops it to frighten them away. <laughs> and he gets up to the third floor, and there's too much of a crowd for them to switch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody's these, hanging uh... out there. <laughs> Yeah, all these ladies are like, oh, you can do it. You're so good. Keep going. And like now, you know, he he's kind of trapped. So he's got to keep going up more floors. <laughs> yeah, Bill's like, hey, uh, not going to not going to work. Well, like first. So he, he going up from this floor, someone drops a badminton net out the window on him. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then somebody else is like, like calls up. It's like, hey. You should take off that net. It's getting in your way. It's the drunk. Oh. <laughs> Which is, is you know, that the that's also paid off because when he finally gets the badminton net off of him, it lands on the drunk. And we'll see it at the very end of the film. The drunk is still wrapped in the badminton net. Oh, yeah. He never gets out. No, of course not. <laughs> and it's really death defying. This sequence where he's literally oh, yeah. on the side of a building with a badminton net all wrapped around his arms and legs and trying to like shake it off of him. Yep. And it's like, it's just not coming off. It's like, it's attached to like his cuff link. One of the girls has to pull it off. Like, it's so wild. Uh, I like, again, no green screens, no rear projection. Yeah, they like, didn't have that. Yeah. That didn't <laughs> exist yet. So it is literally just him on the side of a building in all of these shots. Like usually there were, things to catch him below the specific area he was but if he went the other way there's nothing yeah. there <laughs> yeah yeah and we do get a lot of wide shots that are bill uh doing the the free climb all the way up a real building which is just mm. wild <laughs> so he gets up to the next floor or no he doesn't quite get up to the next floor bill is ahead of him at the next floor oh yeah yeah that. so he goes to lower this rope and he's gonna tie it around the no desk. not yet that, oh, that's no, a little bit yet. later. Because okay. first he's like, you're going to have to keep going till I ditch the cop. Right. And then he he goes up a little bit further and the wood plank comes out the window. Oh, yeah. The, there's these like painters or carpenters or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like just damn near knocks him off. He's holding on to it. He, he transfers to the low edge of the clock. And then. Oh, yeah. He, He's like trying to get back to the thing and he gets onto the window and Bill opens the window under him, which right. leaves him up because it's one of those weird windows. It's <laughs> like huge windows. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like on top of this thing. It, it levers him up. So he grabs the hour hand of the clock, which is the famous shot. Yeah. So here, this is interesting because the event is meant to start at two o'clock. Here we see it's 2.45. In the universe of this movie, he's been doing this for 45 minutes already. Yeah. I mean, like, it, and it happens really fast in movie time. Like, we're, you know, five minutes, ten minutes, maybe. Uh, I mean, it's hard to tell because it's so It's hard to tell energized. because it's so fast. And yeah. I, I checked the, the building part is 45 minutes long. Like, yeah. it's half of the movie. So. But it doesn't feel like it. Like it, it does just not. It feels like you've that. watched a freaking... You know, like a like a six minute short. Yeah, it, it feels, feels like a short like. film. It just blazes past. I cannot believe that. Uh, like for uh, for all I know, at this point, we might have been watching them for twenty minutes. Right. I so, don't know. 
so like th- that shot of him hanging from the hour hand is incredible like with you know the the city bustling in the background and just oh yeah him I mean, it's, from, yeah. it's on the cover of the dvd it's on the poster it's so iconic it just looks amazing yeah and and then the clock face peels down peels down and it's out of the by wires or or like and bill has gotten up to the floor above this time this is where he drops the rope okay here's where he drops the rope and then he's like pardon me hiccups i'm gonna tie it around the desk but he hasn't (laughs) tied it yet yes and and uh harold doesn't realize that and he's like trying to get a hold of it yeah so he so bill goes to tie it but there's that cop gotta ditch this cop gotta ditch the cop and like he he chases him out of the room so just as harold gets it he starts to fall and then like just at the last moment bill and the cop grab the rope and and start to pull him up but but it's not a smooth pull up no he gets stuck (laughs) under a lip (laughs) he gets stuck under a lip and they keep pulling him up and like banging his head against this lip bonk 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 (laughs) <laughs> great and like he they finally pull him up and then you know the bill takes off again because he's literally in the same room with the cop yeah yeah and like <laughs> he starts to climb up and his foot gets stuck and so he's like trying to get his foot out of a crevice and bill appears at the next floor and he's like make this next floor faster i'm having yeah. a little difficulty in ditching the cop yeah. Yeah. can you climb faster like, hurry up I, it's it's hard to ditch the cop dude <laughs> he he gets up to the so next good. floor and a dog jumps out the window at him oh so my he like, goes out on the flagpole <laughs> Yep, and the, the dog's owner is like, what are you doing? My dog almost fell. He's like, don't you realize the dog could fall? And it's like, this was in the papers, dude. <laughs> Come yeah. on. It feels like the people inside the building have no idea that this is going to happen. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that seems to just be going out windows that I feel like maybe shouldn't. If you know there's someone climbing the building and that was heavily advertised, and there's a huge crowd outside watching. This is my office. This is my window. I can throw popcorn out of it if I want. I earned this office with my bootstraps. I mean, maybe. That does kind maybe. of fit with the energy of everything, right? I mean, right? the dog guy is like that. Oh, for sure. Like, excuse me, you... My dog could fall out that window. Dear sir. <laughs> so, like, he he falls into the broken clock... That you know the the face is peeled down, so he falls into uh, the springs and stuff, and his foot <laughs> gets stuck in them. Yeah, uh, he gets electrocuted by a live wire in, in the, the ass. butt, of course. <laughs> and finally, the girl, like as he's trying to climb out of the clock, is when the girl shows up and realizes it's him climbing, like recognizes his uh, iconic glasses character look, the hat, the suit. Uh, he he gets up to the next one and like he he puts his leg onto the ledge and a mouse runs up his pant leg. Oh, yeah. so he's got to do like the oh my god, shake the mouse out of the pant leg dance while he's climbing on or balancing on his ledge. He's just on a ledge and it, he like shakes it out and it falls on someone's toupee and their toupee falls off. The dog of person. Yeah, the, the, the dog guy. <laughs> 
is also very funny. You know, a toupee yep. gag. Of course. It's a hundred years old. Oh yeah. Uh, the next floor, he there. There's a photo shoot, and there's a fake gunshot, and like so. It's oh yeah, bulb. this is great. <laughs> So he he goes to open the window uh, right as the uh, the flash um, from the photograph. Um, the flash bulb. The flash bulb. I I, I don't know the terminology. Uh, it made the bang, and he sees the gun, so he thinks he's getting shot at. So he rushes up to the next floor, and yeah. he just makes it all the way to the roof. <laughs> Ultimately, he's just at the roof. He's like, well, yeah. I guess I didn't need Bill after all. Yeah, but he's like, he's like just on the ledge. He's just about to climb over to the roof, and there's this spinning um, – what is that spinning thing? It's like an antenna, I guess. It's just spinning, and it's got like all of those balls on it. I don't really know what those do, but I do I still like see those. Thing. Yeah, I'm and, not sure. And it's just, you know that it's going to hit him in the head. Oh, it's so... <laughs> you know it's going to happen, and it's going to go, bump, 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 bump. But they put it off for so long. They it's tease it for so long. So perfectly edited, because, like, the girl shows up at a lower window, and, like, he's shouting back and forth with her. And he, like, starts to raise up a few times just just below it. And, like, you know, comes back down and he's, you know, shouting back and forth to the girl. And she's, like, leaves the window. She's going to come up to see him. And he's like, oh, I'm so excited. And he stands up and is clobbered by it. Yeah, but, like, there's, like, five fake outs on this. It's so good. It's so good. Just up, down, and, and, up, down. Exactly like like you know how it's going to be. It's like, boom, 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 boom. It hits him and he's like swaying. He he's like doing the whole, dizzy dance. Yeah. <laughs> and he tangles his foot in some rope that's hanging off. And this is a heck of a stunt. Oh, uh, cause he like, um, yeah. he gets his foot all tangled and then he falls off the side of the building and he swings like a pendulum. Yep. <laughs> he swings like a pendulum. And the, is it the, is it the girl who catches him? Well, he does the big swing out and then he swings back and she's at the edge and he swings back up onto a foot and embraces and kisses her all in one motion. Right. All and right. like everybody's cheering. This is his big success. Yeah, and, you know, he's, is, uh... he's up there and like he gets on the roof and way in the far <laughs> distance. <laughs> way in the distance. We see like on like a series of rooftops. Bill and the cop just still running away. And just that tiny, tiny text in in like the center of the screen. I'll be right back soon as I ditch the cop. <laughs> <laughs> so small. Uh, Great button. Like absolutely perfect. And we, and you know, that's... we cut down and see that the drunk is wrapped in the badminton. Yeah. Mat, just to finish off that. Uh, we never see the uh, friend cop ever again. No, you know, he, his his role was finished. He was there just to give Harold a false sense of confidence with police. Yeah. And so, you know, he walks arm in arm with the girl. They're going to get married. They've made a thousand bucks. He's made good. He's set for actually. Yeah, he gets to keep all of it now. I guess so. He'll probably still give Bill some. Well, if he can. If, I mean, if, if track he, him he, down, if he, if he manages if he to get that cop. Bill, Bill can't take the money until he ditches the cop. <laughs> that's, that's his part of the deal. 
Yep. But Some say his spirit is still wandering the rooftops today. Still got to that, that cop. Both the you know uh, the the roofs of Los Angeles haunted by a rogue cop and <laughs> the, the human fly outrunning him. Oh, I shouldn't have cursed him for all eternity. <laughs> <laughs> if I had known how hard it'd be to catch this asshole. So last little kicker, they're walking across the roof and Harold <laughs> walks through tar. Tar. Put on the it roof just and takes off he, his shoes and socks. He walks out of the shoes. He walks out of the socks and just keeps on walking. <laughs> and that's it. That is the end. What a, what a great movie, right? <laughs> really fun. Really fun. When it was over, I was like, holy hell, that was the fastest hour 15 I've ever seen. Uh, I like if I hadn't kind of taken a break and paused it and looked at the timer, I would have thought we were at somehow the half hour mark. Yeah, it just blazes past. It's pure momentum. Yeah. Uh, just great. So much fun. It like you can see why this is the one that is the iconic Lloyd. There are a few others that are really great. Speedy, I think you'd really like where he uh is um a crazy cab driver. Ooh. That one's pretty wild. Okay. But yeah, I I'm a big fan of Lloyd. I think he's underappreciated in terms of the silent era era guys like you mostly hear about keaton and chaplin but mm-hmm. lloyd is very unique and and he he has that everyman energy and it's like i i feel like chaplin was often criticizing capitalism and you know sort of the worker and it's sort of where everything was with that in the 20s and 30s but lloyd kind of was also doing it in more of a kind of like i i'm one of you sort of way Yes, yes. Chaplin felt kind of above it. Lloyd was like, I'm in this grind too. Yeah, well, yes, his character is definitely in the grind. Yeah. (laughs) Getting ground. Grinding. Uh, (laughs) So this is sort of replaced, like this is from the inactive stacks, but we're, spoiler alert, choosing from those again this week. Oh, okay. So uh, this is kind of replaced. Uh, the the next thing below it was the Punisher from '89, the Dolph Lundgren one. Oh wow! I didn't. Okay. Yeah, this is the I probably the first superhero movie I ever saw. I think I saw it before Batman came out. Oh wow! Or before I saw Batman. I, I don't know. They probably came out around the same time. Uh, and also, we've added Dirty Harry because I, I meant to add that box. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Regarding that's the, the Dirty Harry series. Yeah. So, any final thoughts on Safety Last before we head to our second part? Well, the only way... See, the title is still misleading, because the only way you can get to Safety Last is if you get to it at all. I guess so. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I thought was really funny, uh, on Letterboxd, they have the what one of the taglines that they had on early posters and it's terrible but i gotta read it because it, it's just like so hacky and so weird you're going to explode with safety laughs when you see this fun bomb safety laughs <laughs> you know what <laughs> okay well, well here here you're going to explode with safety laughs when you uh, just just picture it in an old-timey 20s voice. It sounds better. 
You're going to explode with safety lifts. <laughs> there you go. There okay. you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, safety laughs really uh, tickled me when because <laughs> that's like that's so dumb. You can laugh if you want to. You can leave your thumb behind. <laughs> uh, so yeah, safety last. Uh, really great. Our first silent picture that we've discussed, and yeah, this is a total blast. Just pure energy from beginning to end. Real fun. A lot of fun. All right. Well, on to part two. And we're back for our second part where we're talking about uh, sort of like the the all-time summer blockbuster, the movie that launched the concept of the summer blockbuster, uh, the movie that created Spielberg, more or less, uh, 1975 Jaws. <laughs> Jaws, or in French, Le Dante de la Mer, which... <laughs> Teeth of know. the Sea. Teeth of the Sea. I love that. I love that so much. That's a good title. Uh, Spielberg. Like, this is really what kind of creates Spielberg, and it really has that uh, iconic imagery that you know from Spielberg. Just uh, this one especially. Like, this is the movie that is 70s American summer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, like, right from the beginning. Like, the, the opening shots, you have that one really, like... Sort of the this the Spielberg signature move is the oneer. Oh, like the, like the the really long single yeah. shot. One long shot without uh, ever breaking, and you have one of those right at the start. This pan over a beach party, and then following these two people away from it. Yeah, uh, two people. One is uh, who want to go skinny dipping, but uh, one is too drunk to be able to take off his clothes to get to the ocean and uh well good for lucky for him uh and it works out for him i i really like this just the the way it's established though this this long opening shot just that we establish this beach party and i i love just how detailed it is all of the stuff there like you see a whole beach party taking place just in this one shot you know there's people playing acoustic guitar and smoking weed it's a real 70s beach party (laughs) i i've been to beach parties like that yeah not bad it's a good time and they got the bonfire of course yeah well you think they're just no beach party flash in a barrel you got you got a fire it's just like a, a barrel belching smoke, which is pretty funny. Again, very 70s. It's like, ah, whatever. Uh, and and it kind of almost feels like the girl is not really interested in the guy and is more just tr- kind of trying to get away from him and ditch him. But whatever well, way, you know, she does. She, she loses her clothes and she... To... Oh, oh, like, yeah. Yeah, she, she ditches her clothes and he's sort of trying to and she just goes off into the water. She more wants to go swimming than get with the guy. I it's think that's like, what it is. Yeah. Um, the guy's too drunk. So he, he kind of he, he loses a little bit of his clothes, but and then just sort of passes out at the at the edge. Yeah. Like he's sitting down on the beach and he's trying to get his pants or shoes off and he kind of just gives up. Uh, the cinematography of this section is so stunning. Uh, like this is maybe my favorite looking part of the movie because like you have those the scattered clouds with the last hints of daylight, uh, mm-hmm. and then like just that 
the shining black water, like just a, a black jewel, uh, the, the, the way it sort of is just all these shimmering crystals of light in, in the blackness. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, you also get like the POV cam going through the water. And did you know that sharks do make a sound when they're about to attack? <laughs> It sounds like the score. The score is incredibly iconic, right? Like this is the most copied piece of music ever. It's at least for movies. It's the Jaws theme. It's yeah. If you have a shark in the water, you are copying this song. If you're not just ripping it, if you're not just using it outright. Well, I feel like if you're making any sort of horror movie after this, you kind of are like it's it's so copied. Like this movie kind of also created the template for the slasher movie. It did. It did. Um, This plus Halloween is Friday. Feels like. uh, Yeah. Like this and Halloween mashed together is what creates Friday the 13th as a franchise. It's sort of it's the popcorn aesthetic of jaws and the summer setting and all of that plus you know just the the serial killer ruthless returning concept it's it's just sort of putting those together uh and it's it's brutal like the brutality of this movie is surprising if you're kind of just familiar with later spielberg yeah yeah uh there is one point and (laughs) i'd say there's a handful of points yeah, well, there was one in particular. I was watching this at 2 a.m. And <laughs> I actually was like, oh, my God. <clears throat> so I like, was like, oh, I think I woke up the whole house. Uh, is it the uh, head? It's, it's the second. No, it's the second shark attack. Oh, OK. Yeah, that one is, um, is pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't come for a little while because we're still we're right. still dealing with the first one here. So Chrissy is this girl out swimming uh, and. Yeah. She she's out in the water and like this shark attack is so sudden and brutal and the effect is incredible because mm-hmm. like we don't see the shark we we do not see the shark for a really long time. Uh, uh, I the first time we get a good look at the shark is one hour and twenty two minutes into the movie. We yeah. do see his face briefly before that and a few times we see his fin, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, they use the shark sparingly, which I think was a really good – it wasn't intentional, uh, right. but I think it was a really good call because the shark looks kind of goofy well, when you I do feel like see it. It looks good, but it's it's not very – like it doesn't have a lot of motion, and it didn't work. Like they, they it was yeah. supposed to move more, and they just didn't have the ability to make it move more, so they just didn't show it much, which – Works great. The invisibility it works really of really good. Like, like you know how in Evil Dead, uh, the real villain is the camera. Mm-hmm. I would say in this, the real villain is the music. It, kind of, with, yeah. When you hear the music, you know there's trouble. Right, and if it's a fake out, you don't hear the music, pretty much. Yeah, uh, but and, later on, the shark learns how to not make the music. So sometimes right. when well, there's silence, the shark can still be there. There's one specific one that they do 
as a surprise without the music and where they actually show the shark and it's one of the most iconic shots in the movie and leads to the most iconic line arguably uh but there's a few I, I, iconic lines there's there are a handful like there, so much of I this movie i wasn't is sure inc- which one i was gonna steal from to do my intro for this episode and then i was like you know what yeah. whatever i pick someone's already done it but like th- this movie it, there's so much about it that it's iconic that's been copied like i feel like practically every moment of the movie oh yeah probably so many of the, like so much of the dialogue it, it's just got this beautiful rhythm to it uh it's it's very natural it's got kind of that overlapping feeling but it's it's very real like it's sort of altmany but really streamlined you know that that perfect synthesis of the 70s auteur thing with the popcorn sensibility uh spielberg's kind of the only person who really was able to straddle that line Mm. and i feel like he only did it in this early period oh (laughs) Yeah, yeah, late era Spielberg doesn't feel like this. Like no. Bridge of Spies and the Post. I'm, I like those movies is, a lot. I do too, but they War Horse, too I'm not so much a fan of. Perfect. Well, they they feel more retro than this. They feel like they're paying tribute to stuff from the 40s and 50s more than they're contemporary. And this one felt very contemporary. Mm. Oh yeah, that's true. But I love the invisibility of this shark for most of the the runtime. And it's sort of the anxiety thing that I talk about. I'll I'll get into a little bit later. But uh, just uh, I I was listening to another podcast about Jaws and they mention it. It's like if Michael Myers were invisible. Yeah, because like he could just show up at any time. (laughs) You know, obviously you have to be in the water for that to happen. But. You know, he could just well, show up at any time and just appear and destroy you. Yeah, but you'll be fine as long as you stay out the wa- stay out of the water. So it should be easy to make sure that no one ever gets killed by this shark. You would think, except you'd uh, think. But the economy, though. Um, the, but the economy, though. Oh. So, <laughs> like I said, we'll get to that. But uh, we'll get to that. Oh, so this first will. attack, right? Incredible. Just the the way she's picked up by it and it like jerks around with her at the top of the water. Yeah. Like, it's intense. Like, yeah. And and like no, and you just like from a distance it doesn't look like anything's happening. Like nobody even knows to even if there was anyone there, no one would know that she needed to be rescued. Right. And like the way she screams is horrifying. Like they they mm-hmm. play it so hard so real uh it's it's exceptional like it's it's really just a perfect opening sequence and it's the purest horror spielberg ever did yeah um yeah it's it's scary and and of course the music's uh teaming up with it to Mm -hmm. that john williams score is doing a lot yeah Uh, it's it's doing a lot of work yeah uh, and so we we get to the next morning with the remains being discovered, and they're pretty horrifying as well. Like, they are. We don't see a lot of them, uh, and what we do see is like covered with a lot of crabs and I don't know, like, sea yeah, stuff. Yeah, we, we distinctly see an arm and a hand, uh, yeah. and yeah, I mean, it's there's not a lot left. She's been really chewed up. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's gruesome. It's gruesome. Like, yeah, the, the cop is. Well, the cop is pulling an Andy from Twin Peaks here, yeah. but 
but I, I mean, it's fair. I, might, I probably would too. Yeah, it's very it, gruesome. There's there's not a lot left. Um, so we're introduced by introduced to Roy Scheider as Chief Brody, who gets the call, and I love him so much. He's like maybe he's one of my great. favorite movie characters of all time. He he's really great. When I when I saw that like uh, on the credits, my at a glance I first thought it said Rob Schneider. Ugh. So I was like, I know this is wrong, but what would that be like? This okay. summer, just when you thought it was safe to get back in the raw water, Rob Schneider is chum. Yeah, I mean, I could see one where Roy Sh- Rob Schneider is Jaws, uh, and that would suck. Uh, but yeah, I I love Roy Scheider. I'm a really big Scheider fan, and he's so fucking good in this. Oh, he's like, really good in this. I love Brody. Brody is totally my favorite character in the movie. When I was a kid, Hooper was, but now totally Brody all the way. Like I, I just love his integrity. He's he's kind of new here. That's that's his whole deal. He's sort of new here. Yeah, and... he, he doesn't doesn't really know everybody yet as well. He knows them, but he doesn't like know them as well as. Or what is it they say? You're not an islander if you weren't born on the island. Yeah. And that's it. And he's ultimately sort of unsure about his authority as a result. Like it's it's kind of put him in a weird place. Well, it gets undermined a couple of times. It does. Uh, as we'll see. And he's kind of afraid to put his foot down because he doesn't really know the politics here and he's pretty new. So yeah, he's police, but he's like, I don't know, can I am I overstepping my boundaries? Because like right away, he He's taking the job seriously. He wants to close the mm-hmm. beaches right off. It's like, wait, okay, there's a shark. I'll close the beach. Yeah, close yeah, the beach. One-to-one, obviously. Good idea. Great. Yeah. Don't want people getting eaten by sharks. But uh, and does he show up here? I can't remember. Uh, not quite. Later, so the mayor. He, he talks to the medical examiner. And the medical examiner does confirm that he thinks it's a shark attack. So Brody is like, okay, I want to close the beach. And this is when he talks to the mayor, mayor from Jaws, like the one mayor of the biggest from Jaws, you know, he, he's got a car salesman jacket. Mm-hmm. He, in fact, he addresses exclusively in car salesman jackets. This one's got anchors because he's the mayor of the fishing town. The yeah. Beach town. Uh, yeah, just it's it's definitely a but the economy though argument. Uh, it, it's, oh yeah, because it's, it's Fourth of July. This town won't survive. One of the just this line. It's it's so perfect. It's it 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 plays like music. Uh, it's one that's just imprinted on my brain. And it's like you say barracuda, heroin says what? Huh? And you say shark. You got a panic on your hands on the Fourth of July. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's beautiful. And yeah, uh, now this is the first time the word shark is mentioned, too. Right. Uh, we see it typed out, but this is the first time they say it. It's like they were held, holding back on the word. Right. Uh, which and, I, I kind of like. Oh, absolutely. And this is another amazing shot. Another one with them on the barge. They're on the ferry barge and they're having the conversation. Oh, yeah. All in one shot as the ferry crosses the like yeah. this little piece of river or whatever. Uh, yeah, just a great scene and one that's kind of chilling now. It's it really does read uh, modern, like hyper modern. 
because he's like, yeah, uh, well, I mean, I understand we 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 can't go into lockdown because look what it's going to do to the economy. And it's like, but uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to die. And like, listen, people are going to die, but the economy, though. <laughs> yeah, it's like, think about the tourism money that we're just leaving on the table here if we don't let people swim in the water. If we don't let people go to stores without a piece of cloth on their face. Yeah, so it's just all, all of this stuff. It, it It's uh, extremely resonant now. Uh, and I like I heard Mayor from Jaws said a lot during the pandemic. Like it, it's a phrase that mm. got a lot stronger uh, in that period of time, even though it's already like one of these things that's completely iconic in the culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I wish humanity wasn't so predictable i wish we learned from our art if we can't learn from our experiences yeah like it's it's crazy how uh how much jaws feels hyper modern for something made 50 years ago <laughs> almost yeah almost 50 years almost 50 years yeah holy shit uh, but yeah god it's just crazy so uh, he like the the mayor kind of basically bullies the coroner into ruling it a boating accident. So they they decide it's a boating accident instead of a shark. Oh attack. yes. It's like yeah, we 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 were not. Well, we'll just call it a boating accident. We don't want to create a. We don't want to panic on our hands. Yeah. Even though like the medical examiner already said once, it's like no, this was a shark. Right. And I don't remember exactly the the sequence of things here, but there there is a part where he's looking at that book of horrifying shark attack images. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and we just get point, flashes of it. Yes, we get flashes of it. Uh, the kids are out playing on like a little boat just tied up at the pier. Um, he's looking at the book, and his wife is there, and he's like, "Kids, get away from there! Get away!" And they're like, "Oh, we're playing on the boat. We'll be back in a sec." And the mom's just like, uh, let them just let them just have a summer. Yeah. yeah Until he shows have... her the book, too. Yeah, she she looks at the book and it's like, kids, get back here. And like, they're very horrifying images. Like, we get them really sort of are. flashed yeah. on the screen as well. Yeah. And they're super gruesome. Again, this is part of my uh, anxiety theory as well, is that like, one it sort of pushes it in your face and it's like, Oh my God, that's a horrifying thing to see. But yeah. it's, we're, we're sort of experiencing it through Brody as we're seeing these flashes of it. And we see him like, he's worried about his kids and he's worried about this thing. And he's tying the two of them together. And so we're getting these flashes of his anxious energy. It was like, Oh God, this, the, the horror of a shark attack. And it's like, my kids are out there on the water and we just see these flashes and we see it building up and it's like, okay, we need to get these kids out there. Like, so he, he's yelling at the kids, his wife is yelling at the kids and they get them off the beach. Yeah. And, th and this is just like outside this house. Yes. Yeah, this, this is just nighttime. Going on. This is just a little preparation for yeah. the masterpiece scene of it. Oh, of just him God, having an anxiety attack on the beach. Um, <laughs> Oh, is that is that next? Because I got words about pretty that much, scene. Pretty much. So that that's sort of the next big thing. Uh, we we have this sequence, and for me, like this is this is a full blown anxiety attack sequence mm -hmm. that is a shark attack as well. Well, <laughs> I understood this scene incorrectly the first time 
because mm. like we see him on the beach he he's looking at everybody and like everything's like flashing quickly and he hears screaming but there's it's just you know children people having when fun they're playing the in the water it's what happens yeah. and he's looking at all these different people and like they're screaming is this one okay is this one screaming and then suddenly one goes under and it's just this and, and like there's there's probably like a good like a good couple minutes of build up to it. Yeah, One uh, just, just him seeing everything, just the noise. Just a fountain of blood comes oh, up, and this is the part where I said, "Oh my god!" Super yeah. loudly at two a.m. Like you do I not expect to see. This. Yeah, you do and, not expect to see that in a Spielberg movie, especially. And then it like zooms in on uh, Brody's face. I don't know what this technique is called, where it like zooms in on him and like kind of like zooms the background in at a different um, I, I, don't, I don't know what it's called I think of it as the vertigo shot because it's, yeah, it's the same it's thing a, you get with vertigo with uh, the the uh, shooting you know you're zooming as well as uh, I like I think it's it's a mixture of zooming in and pulling focus or something but yeah and here's why this scene that's already hit me hard hit me even harder because I was like oh okay He's just imagining this happening because he's having an anxiety attack, but the scene keeps happening. Yeah, because he's having like, he's having an anxiety is, attack and the, the anxiety attack, attack is the shark attack. Uh, and like again, that's sort of just you know it, it is the shark standing in for the anxiety, but yeah, it's a shark attack and, movie, so he, and, uh, it happens. And, and let's not forget, while we're doing all this flashing, where we've got <laughs> like that's not helping. But yeah, it's like again, this is where it's a slasher movie. You have the build, you have the stalking, you establish the character, and you see him arguing with his mom. He's like, "Oh, you're you're a little getting a little pruned up. I don't know. Think you should go out there." He's got kind of an older mom, like he has this older single mother uh, and uh, he just gets got like it's it's brutal. Yeah, he's he like he's he's on a, a, a water mattress, an air mattress. And it just like it suddenly goes under and there's like that pause where. You see yeah. Brody seeing it and uh, like it's it's all the build up. It's the him. It's all these tiny shots of all of these things drawing his attention and the noise building and just like that uh, him sort of unable to look at any one thing and it just kind of overwhelming yeah. him. And, and then that, it happens. <laughs> that feeling of which which kid going under is going to be the one. And yeah. then. It, yeah. And then it happens and it is horrifying. It's intense. It's just and so it much blood. Keeps happening. <laughs> yeah. Like and uh, oh, man. it's an intense I, scene. It's so well done. I don't like. I was so like into the into it that I like. I I, I just felt the anxiety of it so much. I don't remember how the scene ends. I can't tell you. I don't know. Well, it's just chaos. Everybody's running everywhere. Yeah. And then we, we get to the town meeting after this. And oh, the town okay. meeting's this is amazing, the town meeting. too. Uh, this is real good. So um, the the I guess the newspaper lady is what I kind of feel like um, is offering a $3,000 reward for catching the shark. 
Uh, she's the one who's like, I don't find that funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the mayor's like, hey, man, like, that's got nothing to do that with funny. me. Yeah. Uh, this scene is very Altman-y. Like, in terms of the overlapping dialogue, just a lot of people talking. And it's it's very loose. It's very mm-hmm. 70s. And, like, yeah. I, I think Brody says, we're going to close the beaches. And the, the mayor immediately walks it back. It's like, for, for, He's like, for 24 day, hours. 24 hours. They caught me, though. Broder's like, Broder's like, I did not agree to that. But, you know, he's been overridden. Uh, and uh, yeah. they set that bounty. And, of course, then we have the introduction of Quint. Yeah. <laughs> Another probably iconic scene. We got fingers on the chalkboard. So iconic. Like, what a moment. So <laughs> a highly copied. shark. <laughs> His little illustration <laughs> on the board. I love the shark, it. He's like. You know me, you know what I do, and I'll get that shark for you, but $3,000 isn't enough. I'll find it for three, but you need to give me ten if you want me to kill it. I'll catch your shark. Yeah, uh, I'll get you the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Uh, no, so he wants ten grand, which is ten times what it costs. Grand. Is, it, is it thirteen? He wants the three for finding it and oh, ten okay. for killing it. Right. So, but yeah, 13 times what it cost for uh, our Harold Lloyd to make good uh, 50 years earlier. Mm-hmm. And we're about 50 years later now. So it's it's interesting to look at these two uh, points in between. It's like, yeah, $10,000 isn't that much now, but it's a bit more reasonable. I don't to- think I would hunt a shark like that for 10 grand. That would get me set for... Yeah, I mean, it's not going to do. Yeah, it, it'll like get you by a couple months. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see the the progression of uh, inflation through these. Yeah, yeah. But of course, this sets off a feeding frenzy because you know the, they've set the bounty, so all of these local idiots are going to head out to see and hunt the shark. You have the shark hunting frenzy scene of just everybody trying to go. Yeah, total yeah. Chaos. Pe- overloading their boats, and this reminds me of like that one. This reminds me of that one Trump Lake party where there were mm. like so many boats and like they were like tearing each other under the ground with their or under the water with their weight because they were not being smart about the fact that there were hundreds of boats in this lake. That flotilla, yeah. It's yeah. it's a lot like that. You just have all of these idiots trying to uh head out in boats to get this money and it's not yeah. working. And and you got this uh, this David Cross sounding guy going like you're going to die you're going to die these Richard, people are all going to die Richard Dreyfus Richard Dreyfus as Matt Hooper uh, I love this character the most he's when great I was a kid. because he definitely, he's very sarcastic <laughs> I love him because he's like he's like okay I'll tell you what's what but if you don't listen to me I'm fucking done yeah. And I get that. I totally get that. And he's just like, (laughs) I don't have time for you. If you Uh, won't listen to me. Right. And like, tell them, like, you know, he he gets someone to go talk to these guys who are overloading the bone. Like, you know, these people, Andy, you know, it's it's an Andy, uh, the sub sheriff kind of guy. And like, go deal with these idiots. God damn it. Because again, Hooper doesn't, or not Hooper, uh, Brody doesn't Brody doesn't really... He has no rapport with these people. He doesn't, yeah, like, he's, well, well, to them, like, he's the chief he's, who showed up from out of town. 
he's not an islander he is yeah. not an islander yeah and yeah what was it like one of the girls asks when do i get to be an islander it's like never never yeah you have to have been born on the island but so hooper is the oceanographer sent to look into this so there's this amazing scene where he does the autopsy it's also oh this scene is so good it's a very intense performance of him like we don't see what he's doing the autopsy on for the most part except when he holds up the arm yeah we just see like um it's it's a while before this happens because they have to catch the random shark first uh i think he does this no this is the autopsy on the girl oh oh that autopsy. i'm sorry i i was i'm thinking of the wrong thing yeah i'm thinking when he cuts open the shark yeah, because no, that that's not even public. Like that's they have to sneak in. Uh, they, this is like they he's doing oh, yeah, the autopsy right. on this Chrissy. Is where he's like, where he's like, you fucking idiots! This wasn't a boat. Yeah, this wasn't a boating accident. Uh, but like it's it's a really intense thing as he's sort of like, you you see him, like, holding back, throwing up as he's like mm-hmm. sort of piecing through the stuff, and we we just kind of play it on his face without seeing what he's looking at other than there's a part where like this is what happens and he he holds up just this severed arm one of the things i really like that is super hard to do effectively but this movie does it flawlessly Mm. um everybody always says show don't tell this movie does the opposite this is like do not show yeah it it carefully holds imagination do the rest yeah, it's it's very good at just showing what it needs to. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interestingly minimalist. And again, it's that Spielberg iconic look. You know, everything that you see, it feels like an iconic image of summer in a weird sort of way. Well, we had this one guy and I, who I thought was going to end up becoming a major character later on. And I posted his picture in the chat, the uh, the harbor master, because mm-hmm. he looked like he'd be someone. But he's just a guy. He is, he's got that look. He yeah. doesn't even show up again. He's just in that one scene and we look at him and it's like, these are all real people. Mm-hmm. Most of these probably are locals to uh, where they filmed. I like I don't think it's actually called Amity Island, but probably they not, they cast but... a lot of like local island people and they just have those islander faces. Like they do feel like coastal folks. Yes. Yeah. Living on an island. I can say that yeah, these these do look like islander folks. Mhm. Uh so they're ultimately these guys I, I think we see that one weird shot where those guys are uh encountering jaws briefly and like it gets attached like it gets hooked onto a dock and it pulls that piece of dock into oh it. yeah so so they're fishing for jaws off of a dock uh these two idiots yeah using the wife's roast that they were gonna have <laughs> Yeah, they toss it into the water and they've got fishing rods. They think they're going to catch it with fishing rods off of the pier. Uh, well, they do, though, that is the thing. <laughs> they they do get a hold of it, uh, but it, it just like takes off a piece of the dock. And then there's that great scene because, like, again, we don't see the shark. You just see the dock coming towards them. Yeah. And the dude's like the dude fell into the water and he's trying desperately to get up. And it's like. Is he going to make it? Because we, we've seen it? a kid get it, so this yeah, old guy so, could totally get it. If you don't have child immunity, anyone can eat it. Right. Um, but he, he is pulled away. He's fine. He is pulled uh, away. 
And as far as we can tell, that was just driftwood. It just happened to be coming into the thing. We didn't it's hard to say it could have just gotten off of it. And it's like, well, oh, no, no you know what? Water and it just left. No, the driftwood can't have. Uh, it can't have just been driftwood coming back or like the dock coming back. Because he music. said he said that the tide was. Well, yes, it played the music, of course. Um, the music silence doesn't necessarily mean that Jaws isn't there, but the music does mean that he is there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh, but yeah, the oh, what was I what was I saying? The the, the he, was, he said the tide took is taking the roast out, so right. the tide would also take the dock out. So yeah, no, that was the yeah. shark. That yeah. was the shark. Because it, it turned against the tide, it was going for uh, the bigger piece of meat, which is the guy. Mm-hmm. But he got out, so it took out. off. Uh, but ultimately, the, the these local hunters catch a shark. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> and all it's this like must this be the shark. huge fucking. It's a big shark. It's, it's a decently big. sized. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a regularly sized tiger shark. But yeah, and it's uh, a it's a Hooper. big giant event. Yeah, they they have it up on the on the dock. Everyone's celebrating, uh, and Hooper immediately is like, "This is too small." And he's like measuring the bite radius and stuff. Like, no, it it was a much bigger shark that killed the one. I I I I looked at the bite marks there, and there's no way this shark could have made them. Yeah, but everyone's just like, no, this this was the shark, right? It's got to have been. Well, Brody and, and we caught it, which means which Brody means really wants it. He to be. wants it to be the shark. But like you can see that he is troubled by. He, he wants it to be, but he knows it isn't. Yeah, and he's willing to go with it here, and and the mayor's like, you know, the the mayor overhears Hooper just talking about how it might not be and he rushes over and is like excuse me excuse me what what did you say no i i don't agree with that i don't agree with that you're wrong and he's like well yeah someone's like well it, i mean it might not be it probably is this shark but it right. might not be but it probably is but i want to do a i want to cut it open just in case because the digestive tract of the shark is such that it's very slow boy should be in there still yeah, it, and it's it, like it, it digests things very slowly. He's like, well, and, let, we'll just cut it open and verify. And the mayor, in this case, I agree with him. Is like, yes, hell no. Uh, do you really want to see to cut this thing open and then see little bits of boy come out on the dock with everybody here? Yeah, well, you're gonna cut this open and have little Alex Kintner spill out on this dock. Uh, speaking of literal Alex Kintner, we got another. His mom shows up, oh, and this, this is fucking scene. Absolutely incredible single scene performance. Like she has that brief moment earlier, but like she shows up and she feels like she has aged. Yeah, and she, like it, this has destroyed her life completely. She she comes, she slaps the sheriff, and she's like, "You knew my there, boy is dead." Yeah, you knew there was a shark. And you opened the beach anyway. And now my boy is dead. I wanted you to know that. And it's it's perfect. It's so perfect. And like it does take the wind out of Brody's sails. It does kind of break up the whole party. Everybody sort of disperses. Mm-hmm. Um, best grieving parent performance, her or uh, Precinct 13 dad? Oh, yeah, that's tough. That's tough because uh, they're very different. 
I think I would go with her because like I... this is one that has stuck with me from childhood. <laughs> mm-hmm. I saw this movie when I was like eight or nine and never forgot this moment in the slightest. Like there are a lot of moments like that in this movie. This movie kind of imprints itself on your brain if you see it really young yeah well silver bullet did try to do this exact scene with one oh yeah my boy was ripped (laughs) oh that guy goes big Uh, he could have taken some lessons from alex kintner's mom he could have but that that's what that movie needed this movie needs this yeah uh but yeah she is very intense uh and we we have it, it, like it, it, it sticks with Brody as well. Oh you know, yeah, he, he he says nothing in this scene. He doesn't. He's willing he to just, take it. He yeah, because like yeah, he takes it. He, like, it wasn't his fault. He did want to close the beaches. He his idea was no, no, the the beach should just be closed. I I want to close the beach, and he was talked out of it. And he's not going to lay the blame on someone else. Like okay, I was talked out of it. It was uh, my fault in being talked out of it so i should have put my foot down as the cop yeah and like i really respect brody in in every way because he kind of takes that path for everything and notably the comparing scars thing that we'll talk about uh just Mm -hmm. he he's he's so comfortable in who he is in terms of his masculinity where the other two main male characters aren't fully like one of them is more performative and one of them is kind of more neurotic Mm -hmm. uh but yeah and it's interesting because he's sort of the vector of anxiety he's the one who is largely ineffective the whole movie but he does ultimately deliver the killing blow like he he is sort of the ultimate hero at the end Yeah. yeah where he kind of may have been a joke character in any other version of this movie i have a hard time picturing that because his performance is so good that I can't. Well, yeah, because Roy Scheider is perfect, but he's a bumbling <laughs> sheriff. He screws up all the time. He he's got oh, the bigger I, okay, boat. Yeah, like like he, he the bigger yeah. boat running gag is him, and he doesn't really do anything effective. Like there's the part with the rope. Uh, uh, like let's just sort of get into some he of these kinda, things. He kind of fucks everything up on the water. Yeah, because he's not used to being on a boat, and he doesn't like it. <laughs> like he yeah. he's this is why he has to get drunk it's a, right right it's this scene the next scene is where oh, Cooper yeah, comes right. to dinner cooper comes to dinner with two bottles of wine it's like <laughs> i don't know if i didn't know if you liked white or red so she takes not a wine glass but like a fucking pint a glass yeah, yeah. Tum- but like like a like a big one oh yeah and just fills it up to the top with the yeah, wine and- I like Hoover's like, uh, you, you might want to leave that to, to breathe. And just like him staring straight ahead, pouring the, <laughs> like half of the bottle into this. Oh, glass. yeah. But like, there's also this whole thing first of like him slowly opening it, uh, silently opening it mm-hmm. while Hooper's talking about. I don't even remember what. I think he's telling his story of how he got into sharks where oh, he was okay. out on the ocean as a kid in a boat and a shark ate his boat as <laughs> he was like <laughs> it just like ate up the entire boat on his way into land because like he caught it and he brought it in and it just sort of tore the whole boat apart around him or something <laughs> right right I, I was actually yeah i was just paying attention to brody depressingly opening the <laughs> or 
it's such a great performance. Just everything Shider does. Opening the wine. Yeah. It's so yeah. I mean, he's been through so shit. Much it's, emotion in just opening this freaking bottle of wine. And it's also him stealing himself because he needs to get drunk to go out on this boat. Because he knows deep within himself, he hasn't come out and said it that they're going to go out and cut open this shark and go out looking for it at night. But it's like, I know I'm going to have to do this thing and I can't do it without getting drunk. Like, I need to be drunk to go out on a boat tonight with everything that's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. This is what will quell the anxiety. So he is pouring this huge bottle and he, he drinks a lot. He is kind of drunk through the night scene here. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> uh. So ultimately they decide, all right, we have to go cut open that shark. Like they, they have some back and forth and like, so you think it's probably not. It's like, it might be it, but I think we'd feel more comfortable if we find out. And he's like, ah. <sighs> All right, let's go cut that thing open. Yeah, so th- this scene is this is a great scene. This is what I thought so much fun. the autopsy scene because mm, the shark autopsy. The shark autopsy. Uh, we don't see uh, the cut or anything. We just see the stuff him comes out reaching his hands into like a mound. It's just a fish. He like throws out like a full fish. Um. License plate. Oh, license plate is a big license thing. plate from Louisiana. Yeah, so it's like <laughs> this one came from the south. Yeah, yeah, it came up through the Gulf Stream. Uh, yeah, it's just a you know it's a bottom feeder, it's a garbage eater. Uh, and Brony's like, it didn't need a it didn't need a car, did it? And he's like, no, no, the, these things are just garbage eaters. They're just picking up trash on the ocean floor. Yeah. So, um, uh, no little boy though. No, not not a bit. And if there's an entire full fish in it, you know, yeah, obviously the digestion is slow enough. Some boy, some elements of boy. Uh, yeah. So it's like, okay, obviously this isn't the shark. I'm like, do you want to go out and do a little bit of looking? He's like, I'm not drunk enough for that. <laughs> but <laughs> He's like, like, yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. And they they go out on Hooper's incredible boat. Like he's got oh, this yeah. beautifully. Uh, outfitted boat which is his own he he does yeah. admit it's like yeah i'm a rich boy <laughs> yeah yeah so he dives uh hooper dives in when they go to uh this fishing area and they, oh, yeah, find, they find like a shipwreck kind of a sunken boat uh it's, yes. it's ben gardner who was mentioned earlier uh in when they were talking about the fisherman when the the tiger shark was caught i think Brody's like, did Ben Gardner catch it? Oh, so it's yeah, Ben right, Gardner right. here. He did not catch it. <laughs> yeah. he, he caught the real one, or it caught him. Because Hooper yeah. finds a great white tooth embedded in the sunken boat. Uh-huh. And then, whoa! The oh, head, head. Head. It comes through the hole. Uh, that that made me jump. It's, it's an incredible jump moment. Maybe the original cinematic jump scare. Well, maybe not. No, I, I know of cat people has a pretty legendary one but uh i i i remember there, there's a really great documentary that's on this disc and it kind of dates back to the dvd era it's like a feature length making of jaws which is tremendous and spielberg talks about the test screenings and how he was editing it like this scene over and over to just get and like every time he pushed it a little bit more to make people scream a little bit louder <laughs> It was like, oh, I bet I can push it just a little bit more. 
It's a very precision tool to be just like the most frightening moment of uh, that that fucking head, the the floating head coming out of the boat. Yeah, and Hooper screams and drops the shark's tooth, and that that's that like they lose gone. the evidence. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And this is a big problem because they go to the mayor and he won't believe them. And th- I already is... don't want to yeah. close the beach, and you're going to tell me to clo- to close it without evidence? You don't have proof. Uh, this is July. where they, this this is where they have the vandalized billboard, which is super oh, great. Yes, <laughs> they're talking it's... to him in front of that. Yeah, somebody like painted a shark fin on the billboard and like painted the lady like saying help. On, on, like, the Welcome to Amity Island. Yeah, with, like, a, a lady yeah. on, like, like paddleboarding or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's like, that's the scale that you're looking at. Right. Uh, but, so, ultimately, he does not close the beaches. Cause of course he doesn't. The economy, though. And yeah. we we get to the next day, and the beaches are totally <sighs> packed, but no one will go in the water. Not one person is in the water. But the beach yeah. is packed. Yeah. So, I mean, what else are you going to do? Fourth <laughs> of July in the 70s. Uh, in a place on an island. Like, yeah. Go to the, the not beach part. Yeah. So they're they're all on the beach and the mayor like goes up to this one constituent family that who like they owe him something. And it's like they're the sacrificial yeah. family. It's like nobody's getting in the water. Maybe you and your family can break the ice. And it's like. You're the sacrifice. Go out and die for the economy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he doesn't want to, but eventually he's like, eh, all right, I'll get in the water. He, he sort and of then, beats him into it, yeah. Yeah, and, and then, then everyone's all like, going. starts going in, but they're nervous, hesitant about it. Um, but but you lots know, of people, going you know. In, it's like, yeah, we'll have fun. Yay. Yay. Uh-oh. Ooh, there's like a black it, fin on the water. Right, there's first a fake shark prank. And notable, there's no Jaws sound. There is no music. The children did not learn the mating call of the shark. Yeah, so everybody comes out of the water for a sec, and then, you know, it's a prank. And everyone's like, oh, and it kind of breaks the ice. Everybody's sort of in the water and feeling good. Yeah, yeah, the kids come out of their thing. There's, like, rifles trained on them. Yeah. (laughs) And then... Uh, what is it? The um, Brody's kids, they want to go into like the pond. Uh, the lagoon. Like, the, yeah, the lagoon. It's like Brody's like, no, shark. Yeah, but the lagoon is safe. That's only where the old ladies go. Right. It's just it's sort of like the, the fenced in area. And it's like, well, there's a rope. OK, it's there's a rope. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's it's got like a funnel like it's raised. So it's it's sort of like a lake in that sort of got like a little funnel to the sea rather than it being on its own. But of course the shark gets into the lagoon ultimately when it finally does arrive and it eats this boater. There's one guy who's like coming up to the kids like, Hey kids. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, He gets his leg torn off and uh, like Brody's son is right there and sees it. He like goes into shock, which is why yeah. they end up at the hospital later. Yeah. <laughs> so like obviously total chaos. Uh, the mayor finally is 
on their side. It's like, okay, well, I screw. He's, he's like, like, he he's he's re- he's remorseful. He's like, my kids were on that beach too. Yeah, but I feel like the way he the way he said it to the sheriff, I feel like it was because his whole thing is like, no, we'll keep the beaches open and you'll just keep everyone safe from the shark. Right. You'll just figure out how to do that. But it didn't work so, out. Yeah, so I almost feel like he was kind of saying to the sheriff, like, you didn't you you didn't do enough to keep people safe here. Yeah. You ruined the four you ruined the fourth of July. I yeah. don't I didn't get uh I, I do feel that he was being remorseful because specifically he's like, God damn it, my children are on the beach. And this is where he does agree that he will pay Christ's right. fee. Yes. He's like, yes, I I'll will because Brody is like you're going to pay for uh, Quint, and we're going to go hunt. Oh, the, but agreed. even now, the mayor doesn't want to. He's got that. Look he doesn't like, want to, but <sighs> he goes for it. He does do it because he does. He's like, my kids were on that beach. But spending uh, money. I know. Kids, but money. But the finger thing means the money. Of course. I'm like so, doing a thing with my hands, like yeah. weighing them. So they they hire Quint, uh, and. Uh, they they set out on the Orca, his boat. Uh, after Quint, you know, him and Hooper don't get along. No, they they gotta kind of be a boy. Oh, you're a city other, boy. But, you can't uh, do a thing. I'm tired of this white collar hero stuff. I can shark thing. Oh no, you don't. You're you're useless. I I really like sort of the dynamic between them and that they have to resolve this sort of friction between them that Brody doesn't have Mm -hmm. that Brody is just kind of uh, doing his own thing the whole time. He's willing to be sort of separate. And uh, obviously the, the comparing scars thing shortly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I love that shot of them sailing out of the Harbor. That's like shot through the window of Quint's, building that's through like a shark jawbone that he has hung in a window oh, yeah 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 he, he's got all these like shark jaws in his house yeah and, and at when, first hooper's like looking like oh my god but then he realized quince ending yeah i i do really like that when they arrive to go out on his boat that he's just boiling shark jaws <laughs> like that's his thing like he's just decorating. he's just with got them. some on there right yeah. like he's got one in the pot right now yeah, it's you know it's it's a it's a display of power. Yeah, and he's just like, okay, well, I want this, 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 and this, and Brody's like, yeah, whatever, I don't, sure, yes, just yeah, whatever, fine. yes. I don't know, I'm I'm not a boat guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and here's where it's the, the boat part is interesting because they don't explain what they're doing, so you kind of got to figure it out. Yeah, they, you know, they're just out looking for it, so they're chumming, they're yeah. Uh, going out in the, the, the area and they, they don't really find anything the first day, but no. the night on the boat is such a great scene. Uh, this scene is, uh, yeah. So it starts with like, they'll, they'll just be comparing scars. It's like, how oh, you see this, this is from, I don't know. I can't remember. Like most of Quint's are various seafaring things, him getting into battles with, uh, all sorts of sharks and stuff. Whereas, uh, uh, Hooper uh, has kind of more just like uh, uh, social stuff. Like <laughs> I don't really remember. And then like he ends up and like right here where like Mary Lou broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and, and here's where we have Brody. Like, he just lifts up his shirt. He's like, it's got like a bullet, uh, I guess. Clearly, like a bullet wound that he got as a city cop, and it's why he's here now. Is that it got too dangerous to be in the city? So, mm, okay. for the good of his family, family, he's moved to this smaller community where he's not going to be in that sort of mortal danger all the time. But like. I just love that that sequence of him listening to them bantering and sort of uh, becoming chums and him looking at it and is like, I could talk about this, but he doesn't need to. It's like, I don't I don't have anything to prove. I don't really need to be a part of this. It's fine. These guys have their moment. I don't need to be a part of it. So then the the last one, the one that ends the one upmanship. Yeah, uh, Quinn, like. He, Which he would like, end all like, upmanship? Right. He, What's this? It's a oh, it's a tattoo. I had it removed. Yeah, and and what did it use to say? Mother? Mother? <laughs> it's like, and, uh, it said and USS like, Indianapolis. Right. He he reaches over and he like steadies him and is like, this this isn't going to be funny. I need you to calm down right here. And like <laughs> without words, just reaches over and is like, We're we're about to get serious right now. Yeah. You know? And as soon as he says Indianapolis, uh, Hooper just goes silent. He's like, you were on the Indianapolis. Right. And it's like it's it's an absolutely incredible monologue. One of the most famous in film history, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the tale um, of the Indianapolis, of course, uh, this is a real ship in World War Two. Yeah, he, he tells a very PG version of it, actually, even though it sounds horrible. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot to it. It's a very horrifying thing. But ultimately, you know, it was one of the ships that delivered the nuclear bomb and uh, it went down and went down. Yeah. A lot of people were eaten by sharks before anyone realized that it had gone down. And Uh, there was no distress signal ever sent. Yeah. Because this was such a secret mission. Nobody even knew that they were supposed where they were supposed to be going so nobody knew to question why they were late they were in there for a week yeah it it took a long time for them to get rescued and uh, a lot of them got eaten first yes uh and you know it's it's a very harrowing tale uh and it's beautifully told Mm-hmm. And so uh, we we don't see like they don't do the thing where we like see flashbacks we just right. we just look at his face as he's telling it we just sit with Quint's words, and yeah, I mean, it's it's an ama- amazing performance. It's, yeah, it's the the peak for uh, this character in the movie. Mm-hmm. I feel, mm-hmm. and, and like the one that the thing he says that stuck with me is like, eleven hundred went men went into the water, three hundred and sixteen came out. Yeah, uh, and it, it, it's 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 sort of like it, it kind of concludes the night and then the, they sing they they drunkenly sing show me the way to go home <laughs> yeah but they're singing so loud that they don't hear dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah and so like it you know it attacks the ship a little bit and it, you know, a little bit it, it punctures it, the hull with its face yeah i mean it's it's just warning them <laughs> <laughs> It's like, hey, buddy, singing in my ocean. uh, You're not thinking of hunting me, are you? That's what I do. Yeah, I I think it's the next day that we have Brody chumming the water and we have that incredible sequence. the, The one where finally there is no sound when Jaws just appears behind him in the water. And oh, what an incredible scare. 
because it's so huge. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, after this, like all Brody, Brody can really say for a while is we need a bigger boat. Yeah, Are you radioing for a bigger boat? You're going to need a bigger boat. We're going to get a bigger <laughs> boat, right? We're going back in. Yeah. Uh, and like, it's just such a phenomenally frightening thing to him that like he finally sees it up close and is like, this thing is as big as the boat we're in. This is not going to work out. Uh, and it doesn't. Not really. So first they have the barrels thing. I really like this. They're harpooning it and like getting barrels stuck to it to tire it out. Yeah, yeah. Like I guess they, he can't dive with all these barrels of ballast um, attached to him and floating is the idea. Um, it takes <laughs> – that's the idea. It's supposed yeah. to just take uh, one barrel. Um, but with two barrels, it still sort of can. Like it's tiring it out, but it can still go under. Yeah, uh, and he plays with the barrels too. He, uh, he uses them as bait. Uh, and sometimes he like – I think at one point he like chops the cord. Yeah, like he, he – manages to get out of one of them and he goes under the boat a couple times mm-hmm. uh, and notably uh hooper attaches a tracker to one of them so they kind of have an idea of where he is for a bit yeah uh there this is it's it's one of the scenes it's the first one the with the barrel where uh he doesn't make sure that that uh, brody doesn't make sure that hooper is is clear of the rope oh he gets yeah kinda, his right. legs get kinda... a little bit crunched a little bit crunched. You have to like freaking. Oh, yeah. Because again, Brody doesn't really know the ocean and he's he kind of bumbling on the ship. Yeah. Like he keeps almost knocking over the oxygen barrels, which are uh, also very important. He gets hit with the barrel uh, a couple at one times. Point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, knocking stuff over. Yeah. So, yeah, like through all this period, he is kind of uh, bumbling. But, he's kind of getting in the way, yeah. But they don't play it bumbling. Like they, no, they play it totally is... seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Quint through this is never sending any reports back, even though he's kind of pretending for a bit. Yeah, I think like before the first night, he's like, oh, yeah, everything's going great. We'll have him back by we'll have him back by dinner. Yeah. But of course, he was never actually sending anything to them and he uh, ultimately i can't remember exactly where it is but he smashes the radio when they want to yeah he smashes the radio um interestingly it's never stated why he does this and it's not really it's not really explored because nobody really has time to explore it but he just kind of wants the glory he wants to do it this is like he he wants that 13 grand (laughs) well yeah like, I, um, I think he probably knows this mayor well enough to know that he's not going to get it if there's any sort of loophole. Well, yes. Uh, that's and true. he just wants the glory. Like, he, yeah. he like his this masculinity is, is, this is Moby the much Dick more. right here. His masculinity is the much bigger, more, uh, I have to show it. Like, like I, I yeah. really have to express it in every way. So it, it's sort of like he is the big blustery guy. And he also is the only one who does not survive this. Uh-huh. Uh, first we have the, the, they try the tiny shark cage, which obviously doesn't work out super great, but it's a oh, great yeah. sequence. Oh yeah. Where, where he goes into the cage or Hooper uh, goes. Yeah. Hooper goes. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I love it. It's like you go in the cage, cage goes in the water. 
sharks in the water. water. Our shark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that, great. that's it. <laughs> great bit. Uh, and you know, they they put him in the water, and the shark is just huge. It it is kind of tearing this cage to bits, and like he has, uh, it, it's like a thing with a poison in it on. Yeah, on, on his like, like a special syringe. harpoon. Right, but yeah, he can't like use at it. This, he drops at this it. point. Uh, yeah, Quint is just like. At first, Quint was all like, uh, well, yeah, we don't care about any of your shit. I, I know how to hunt sharks. And at this point, he's like, okay, so what do you have on this ship that can kill the shark? Right. Yeah, like, so he's like I, finally ready to listen to Hooper. Right. And so they, they, they try that, but it doesn't end up working out because it just destroys the cage. Uh, but Hooper is ultimately able to get out of it. Yeah. Uh, Although I think we sort of lose track of Hooper here, is it? Like we, do we don't lose see track him. of Hooper because he kind of hides like in a cave here. Okay, we don't yeah. see him again until the end. Right, and he he appears after uh, Quint has been devoured by the shark, which happens pretty shortly here. The the yeah. shark gets onto the end of the boat. Yeah, they're trying to lift up the cage first, and he's like on top of the cage, just thrashing. Yeah. yeah, somehow he gets onto like the end of the boat and is like the boat is slowly sinking this whole time from when he rammed it the first time. Right. Yeah, and, and he's just, rammed it a few other times. This is actually this is like a super long fight with this shark. Oh yeah, I mean like it, again, it's it's kind of like Safety Last, where the entire last half is one ongoing action sequence. Yeah, it, it's one it's it's one fight scene. It's a trajectory again. Yeah. Uh, yes. But yeah, so so the the shark is on the end of the boat and it's kind of listing that way and just Quint sliding down into his mouth and, and uh, oh my god, oh. The desperation as he's like trying to kick at it and it's and so then, intense. Oh, and and, and then it, it munches down on him and it's it's ripping him apart and he's screaming and. Yeah, I mean, he he got the ending that he describes of you know and the you know and the, the eyes turn over and then the screaming starts and oh yeah yeah uh, the shark's eyes are black like a doll's eyes so uh, you know Quint gets devoured and the the ship is just like fall to pieces Brody is like up in the the mast oh yeah which hang is on. sideways now um, mm-hmm. at some point. When Quint was getting devoured, either just before or just after, uh, somebody managed to kick one of those propane or oxygen tanks into his mouth. I think it maybe just falls in with all the stuff that is just like uh, going in because it's, you know, uh, he's falling into the mouth as well because like everything was kind of drifting down that way. Uh, Yeah, and Brody aims and he blows up the fucking shark with the oxygen tank. Uh, after several shots, it's it's not an yeah. easy thing. It's it's you know he and he's he trying to shoot it underwater too. He, he's he, it, it's yeah he he puts he perseveres. He's lucky. Uh, the the great line, smile, you son of a <laughs> kaboom, <laughs> kaboom. Shark explodes, and then Brody or Hooper reappears, and they swim back slowly on debris. Yeah, on like the on two of the barrels, right? Uh, to the two of the existing floating barrels that uh, didn't get attached to the shark. When when the shark explodes and it's uh, 
floating down in there, like sort of drifting downwards in the water, it gives like a dragon roar, <laughs> uh, which is reused from Duel when the truck goes down. Oh, at the end of Duel. <laughs> no That's way. Great. You know, previous <sighs> Spielberg. Uh, yeah, a great bloody movie. Really good. Holy shit! I I I wasn't expecting how scary it would be. Right, because you don't kind of think because you think of Spielberg. Like, yeah, it's 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 like a Universal Pictures monster. Jaw, like Jaws is in the freaking ride. Yeah, and, and, and he's it's just like you know the blockbuster monster, and it is the all... blockbuster monster. Like this created the summer blockbuster. Yeah. Literally, they didn't exist before this. Yeah, and and, and then he got like the sequels where. First of all, so my question what after this is, how? Okay, how the hell does Jaws come back for a sequel? Wife of Jaws. Oh, the Bride of Jaws. So I'm picturing a shark with, like, a black dress and, like, a black Marge Simpson hair with, like, the white streak. I can't remember exactly how it works out because it's been years since I've watched any of the sequels. But, like, I I think all of them, it's just family of Jaws going after the Brody family. So, over the next several films all over the so country the first one is mama jaws and then the second one is the son uh joss and Voorhees. i guess so uh yeah and i don't i don't remember if they're all different sharks from this point or if it's just one <laughs> shark that keeps coming back i'm pretty sure in jaws the revenge it eats a tank it's a very strange <laughs> series it gets very silly very quickly but it had to be made because it was one of the most successful movies of all time. This had a $9 million budget and it made $472 million at the box Wasn't office. Wasn't this like – did this hold the record until Star Wars came out? I think so, yeah. It, it, it got 52 times its budget back approximately. It's incredible. It's just it's, like it's Spielberg good. was – Spielberg could write his own check in Hollywood forever after this, you know. Uh, he had a nervous breakdown while making it. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, he was a very anxious dude, uh, and I feel that that's sort of reflected in the movie. I think that's sort of where the Roy Scheider as a vector of anxiety and the shark as anxiety kind of comes from, that it's kind of just true to Spielberg's own mental state at the time of making this. Um. Yeah, it, it, it does portray anxiety better than most media. Absolutely. Uh, and so, obviously, Jaws from James Bond, as you mentioned last week, is <laughs> named after this movie. Like, oh, those I movies thought, came out after this. <laughs> I thought the, they came out first. No, so the first one with Jaws uh, was 77, so it's two years uh, later. 100% was named after this. Well, yeah. Sure. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's I mean, it's so resonant. Uh, the there there's so much iconography that's incredibly familiar. Like you've seen it done so many times since this. The score is oh just, yeah, well every monster now until forever has a theme of like just like bass instruments. It's the most like, copied theme ever. Yeah, you you have those contrasts. It's it and it's perfect like it's a perfect piece of entertainment there's no point at which you're like ah oh, this scene is maybe going on too long you're just like ah this keeps happening oh my god <laughs> yeah 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 the indianapolis has sucked get on with it 
Yeah, like yeah, it, no. it never really <laughs> slows down. Uh, all of the characters just feel real, which is they interesting. Like, yeah, they feel like people and not like Hollywood stars. Which I would say is something that is somewhat lost in later Spielberg. Because, like, I do like a lot of his later stuff as well. Like, you know, we talked about, you know, Bridge of Spies and stuff like yeah. that. But I feel like his characters become less real and more Hollywood after this. Here, it's kind of striking that perfect balance where, like, you'll have a lot of really clever lines and a lot of dialogue that just really is perfectly honed. And the way people say it is just musical in, oh, in yeah. how perfect it is. But it still feels real like it, it feels contemporary it feels like this is 1975 in the summertime in america <laughs> yeah and this and, is what people felt a like. human being would say this to another human being whereas i feel in something like jurassic park you don't really have as much of that i yeah, i feel like those feel a little bit more like hollywood characters who have to drive a plot along in a certain way whereas this it really feels real for everything that the characters do there's so much beyond the margins like especially with brody uh -huh. Uh -huh. like the the thing with him looking at the scar and not saying anything it says so much than him actually saying anything about it would oh uh, so much of his acting is him not talking yeah like the the part when he's at the hospital when uh, his his son is in shock and he's got the younger boy and the the like just the way he's holding him and he has uh, his hand in the shirt holding his back just like the the skin on skin contact that yeah. it's like he's comforting him as a, a parent and it's not something that's like really dwelled upon or anything it's just an authentic motion of him doing that and there's just so much to it uh, just a fucking great movie. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, so good. Uh, so does it it hold up to uh, what you were expecting? Like built up for, I, I'd say pretty heavily built up. It's one of those movies. Yeah, but it was built up as a summer blockbuster and not something that was going to scare me and make me go, "Oh my god!" In the middle of the night. Yeah, but it, <laughs> so it do that. It, it do that. It go like like you said, Jaws goes hard. Yeah, it's it sneaks up on you. Uh, How the hell is this a PG movie? Because the PG thirteen rating was created in response to this. Oh. <laughs> Another thing that's kind of important about this movie, oh. it came out and people were like, "Oh my god, we can't have kids see this kind of thing," and they're like, "We need to create an additional rating." <laughs> oh, now now I see because. That that's the rate that is the rating this film should have got. It's it's not an R film, but it sure as shit ain't no PG. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean like there are things you probably couldn't get away with in even a PG thirteen movie now, but yeah, it's it's shocking. Uh, it uh, it chooses its moments of horror very well, but it doesn't stint on them in the slightest. It goes really hard on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right. So any last thoughts on Jaws before we move to our second or our, our uh, final section? Uh, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> I, if we, if we caught the shark. And we're back for our final section where we're going to discuss some movies watched last week and decide what we're going to watch next week. Uh, so we got a few here. Uh, watched, I think, 10 movies this week. Ooh. All right. Bit of selection. 
First up, we have visiting hours. Uh, this is a, a Canucksploitation, a Canadian <laughs> from the 80s. Oh, I've never heard of that genre. Oh, I love this genre. I have lots of stuff like this. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's a, a kind of a Drake meme thing. Have like Drake as Canucksploitation. Have Michael Myers, Michael Ironsides. Ah. <laughs> we, we got Michael Ironsides as a slasher. Uh, and it's it's kind of a weird slasher because it's not a mystery or anything. It's just this guy. He's an MRA letter columnist and he hates women. Uh, oh. His his thing is he he doesn't like women who fight back against their abusers. That's who he targets because. Why doesn't he like that kind of woman, I wonder? Because as a child, his mother fought back against her dad when he was abusing her and disfigured him. Like, I, I think she threw a pot of uh, boiling oil or water or something in his face. Oh, good. So, you know, he's he's very anti-woman now. He's kind of anti-everything. He's just a far-right-wing nut. His thing is he writes into uh, all sorts of letter columns, and he, he has, like, this apartment full of framed letters he's sent about all of the people <laughs> he hates. That like his walls are entirely decorated with the letters he sends to. Oh newspapers. gosh, he's that kind of guy. And there's this crusading lady reporter who uh, is, you know, obviously helping out uh, 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 th- this woman who was sort of railroaded against for uh, fighting back against her abusive husband. So you know, he is obviously going to go after her. Right, right. And he he attacks her and. She ends up in the hospital, and then it's him killing people in the hospital. Uh, so Shatner is in it, too. Oh, he really? He doesn't do anything at all. He shows up <laughs> periodically to be like, well, uh, surely there's no problem. Uh, we'll just get it dealt with. Uh, you, you don't need to worry your pretty little head about anything at all. And then he comes back a couple scenes later and like, well, things have been weird, but I'm sure there's no problem now. <laughs> It's just him doing that a few times. Is he is he holding a phone in his hand as he's holding a phone up to his ear as he's doing it? <laughs> Sometimes, like usually, he's <laughs> just uh, showing up uh, in her uh, hospital room. But yeah, it's just him showing up various times. I think he's her boss because you know he's she works at a TV studio. She's a lady reporter. Mm, okay, strange movie. Uh, next up is Deadly Friend. Uh, this is a Wes Craven movie. I feel like this is his response to Weird Science. You know Weird Science? Yes, I do. Um, I know the TV show and the song, at least. Was it a movie, too? It was a movie first, and then okay. like the TV was sort of a spinoff on the concept. So two nerds create a robo-girl, uh, and it's it's sort of creepy, just as a concept. Yeah, yeah, it uh, is. And this is a movie that feels like Wes Craven exploring how creepy that concept is. Oh, cool. Uh, it's it's very uneven. Uh, the studio kind of took it away and re-edited it and added a lot of ADR. Uh, for whatever reason, it, so it's a, there's this boy genius, and he's created a robot that is just super intelligent, right? Like, it's, it's, it's AI. You know, it, it works. Okay. For some reason, it is voiced by Roger Rabbit, and it makes noises all the time, which is a huge problem. (laughs) No, 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 no. That is, 
There is no. Because it's a horror movie otherwise, but. What? It, it. Yeah. So there's the. They live next door to a girl who is being abused by her father. Uh, and. Ultimately, the the robot gets destroyed and then the girl gets killed and, you know, creepy boy genius puts the two of them together. He puts the robot brain into the dead girl and the dead girl goes and gets her revenge. Okay. Uh, sort of like the dead girl who is also the robot and like their brains are merged oh, and the robot is also so getting its revenge. The dead girls making Roger Rabbit sounds. Fortunately, none of that. <laughs> they they don't do that thing. But but that's the setup where that could that that's the AI that's in the dead girl. Yes. Okay. Uh, and it's it's sort of weird. It kind of plays with the same genre lens thing of like the sadness of the undead that how much it sucks to be an undead figure in a living world. Like It's kind of interesting that it sort of plays with that tone for all of the, the girl stuff. Okay, cool. Weird movie, uh, sort of a mess because mm. it's, it's compromised. It clearly isn't fully the disturbing thing that Wes Craven was trying to do. And the ways they try to make it more palatable, just make it kind of weirder. There is one okay. moment of, incredibly extreme gore that is pretty famous and is pretty funny with the basketball you may have seen this shot because it's it's a popularly circulated gif but like uh someone throws uh, a basketball at someone's head and the head just completely disintegrates and explodes into red jelly everywhere Uh, i might have seen something like that it's pretty Uh, good it's the only thing i'm thinking of that is that Simpsons episode where Homer's going to be boxing and the advertisement is just the fist, uh, the glove colliding with Homer's head as he, as he explodes. It's kind of like that, but like a practical <laughs> effect. Uh, cool, cool. Uh, next up is Fast and Furious. Fast Ampersand Furious. Oh, uh, fa- the fourth, okay. The fourth film in the series. There's, so they're no longer the Fast because they're... Not just one fast anymore and not just one furious. There are well, many fasts and many furious. The thing is, they just have a completely different name for each of these. They, there is no naming scheme to the movies in this series. They're just, you know, this one doesn't have the in the title for either. But this right, is the one because that there's sort many of, fasts. This is the one that sort of launches the series as it's known now. It gets the gang back together, you know? Is is this the one with The Rock, or is that the next one? That's the next one. Uh, okay. This one, it feels like a telenovela. <laughs> like, it's very ponderous. Uh, it It's so reverent of the previous movies, it's almost comical. Like, just any time they're talking about something that happened in another movie, or there's like, oh, I hear Tokyo's got this drift racing scene, and everyone shares, like, a really significant look even though like that's for something that hasn't happened yet in this universe because this takes place before (laughs) three somehow we Uh, need to do something before the empire strikes back it's it's kind of like that uh and just soft focus dewy-eyed reminiscence of anything that happens and it, it feels very out of step with the rad car racing action that you have the in the action sequences because it's kind of comic booky in a way. It feels like this is Vin Diesel's other comic book franchise. 
So just oh, like, right, oh, you yeah, know, Riddick refer to comic. page. Yeah, it's not a comic. <laughs> it just oh. feels that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's nuts. Uh, there there is a really great. Uh, it's like several really great action sequences. They're you know car heists of trucks. Uh, it's weird. I I don't know how it would play. Well, actually, I do know how it would play if you haven't seen the others because it's the first one I ever saw, and I found it completely incomprehensible. <laughs> after the opening, it's like, who are all these? What are we talking about? I don't I don't know these people. Why am I supposed to be so reverent about all of this? And I feel like that must have happened to people at the time because it had been eight years since the first movie came out. Oh wow. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just weird. Uh, next so up, is, is that the fourth one then? Fourth one, yeah. Okay. This is the one after Tokyo Drift. Next one is Fast Five. Oh, five, <laughs> five years. Uh, yeah. So next That's what up, I call it. I don't care. Yeah, I've called it that in the past. So Watchers 2 is up next. This is, it's based on a Dean Koontz novel, or it's a sequel to a movie based on a Dean Koontz novel, but it's kind of just the same plot as the first one, as far as I can recall. Okay. It has no relation to the first one. It's just, we're doing the same plot in another movie. So it's a super intelligent golden retriever. <laughs> oh, you were talking about this in the chat. Yeah, okay. It, the, it, it's in a secret lab. It's sort of like a, a, an MK Ultra type experiment thing. And but on animals and this golden retriever, it has a psychic link with the murder monster and both of them escape this lab because the 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 guy running the lab hires an animal liberation group to get them out of there before the lab gets shut down. Couldn't the guy running the lab just get the animals out of there himself? But then he'd because get caught. Oh, he, he wants to put it on someone else. Uh, and He's sort of in the background of all of this, trying to get back with the murder monster that he feels he has a kinship with. So what is this murder monster? Is it an actual monster? It's just a monster that they made in the lab. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, it's got uh, a psychic link with the dog, so both of right. them really like stuffed animals. <laughs> okay. One of the things I really like about the dog is that it's super intelligent, but it's intentionally failing all of its tests because it just wants to play around and be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> this is more fun to live like that. So it's pretended not to be smart all of this time until it escapes the lab. I feel like I should have learned that trick very early in life. <laughs> pretending not to be smart instead of pretending to be smart. So it, it, it gets out, it befriends this Marine who's been arrested for striking a superior officer, and he kind of gets away from the military cops who are taking them because uh, they end up off the road and get attacked by the monster, and no one will believe him, so he, it's just him and the Golden Retriever, and he's trying to find the science lady who has a bond with the Golden Retriever. Uh, it's it's fun, it's stupid, it's very dumb. <laughs> yeah, um, you showed me a a screenshot. Was the dog driving a car? Where it seems to be driving. It's it's a fake out where the oh, marine okay. is secretly below the dog somehow. But I have no idea how that would actually work. <laughs> I'm gonna do all this to make it look like my dog is driving. That'll be hilarious. It's so well, unsafe. Because he's trying to escape from police, but then like they obviously look and see. There's a dog driving a car. What the hell? And they go chase after it. <laughs> what did he think was going to happen? It's like, 
that's that's not the marine. That's a dog driving that car. Let, let it go. Let, let it him go. go. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably got to go to work. Strange, strange choice. But yeah, uh, striking image. Weird movie. Very dumb. Hmm. Uh, right. <laughs> next up is A Taste of Blood. Uh, this is a Herschel Gordon Lewis, and it's pretty long for Herschel Gordon Lewis. It's almost two hours, and that's unheard of with this guy. Oh. Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis is the godfather of gore. He's the first okay. person to do gore in a movie. Oh, oh, wow. All right. Uh, to to make a movie based around the concept of gore. HDL uh, is sort of an interesting parallel to Al Adamson. Al Adamson uh, – he didn't have much money. HDL had a bit more money, but HDL was more crass. Mm. <laughs> HDL was a bit more of a mercenary businessman. <laughs> okay. So his stuff feels flatter and cheaper. Like it, it doesn't, it, it never really feels authentic. It always feels kind of weird and fakey. It sort of works here though. It gives it sort of this weird vibe. So it's this movie about this swinging 60s ad executive type dude. And he's partying and he gets sent this care package from Dracula. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's got this brandy, which is laced with ancestral blood because he's the last uh, surviving relative of Dracula, as it turns out. Okay. Uh, it's got a ring that he can use to hypnotize people with, and it's incredibly garish. <laughs> and it's got a list of people that he's supposed to get vampiric revenge on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so he, he drinks this brandy with the blood and he becomes a vampire and he has to like fly to Europe and kill some people who killed Dracula or the, the descendants of the people who killed Dracula. I was going to say, it's like hmm, your left fielder has been dead for 108 years. Right. And, and so like you have the, the descendant of Van Helsing, who's in America and is trying to get a hold of the people who know him uh, after he finds out about these people dying. He's like, he's going to be coming after me next. I know it. These are the other people who killed Dracula. No one will believe him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very weird. It's kind of like there's this great movie Viva by Anna Biller. that I'm a really big fan of that is uh, it's, it's uh, uh, these two couples and it's sort of, looking at their swinging 60s lifestyle. This is a movie from like the mid-aughts uh, and it's it's designed to always look like and feel like it's the scenes in between what's happening in Playboy ads. Oh, interesting. So it's like, okay. you know, the, the swinging couples from uh, barbecue ads and cigarette ads and beer ads in old men's magazines and it's just them in all of these tableaus and then it's just them living in between them. It's very strange feel uh but this movie kind of captures that accidentally it has that same feel because everybody's so flat and it's got this <laughs> advertising uh feel to it and all of these places look so unrealistic and art designed it's it's kind of fascinating hmm. right on uh next up is fx2 uh the sequel to fx where uh raleigh australian sfx guy solves crimes with special effects right right i don't know why they would ever hire him again <laughs> it's kind of a big problem with this movie because it at the end of the previous movie a lot of people are dead and <laughs> he takes off with a bunch of money and for whatever reason you need he's the just... best special effects guy though for this 
whatever. Well, yeah. So it, the, the thing is, he's not even in special effects anymore. He's retired. He's become a toy maker. Uh, he's also, made you got to get him back into the game. You got to get him back into the game to do one more special effects gig. Uh, one that's last crime job. solving. Because uh, it's a police guy who's like his wife's ex or something. And I mean, a bunch of people end up dead again. It doesn't work out. Uh, there's this whole thing with he's got this motion controlled robot clown. <laughs> okay. Which All right. is horrifying and will haunt my nightmares. It's very disturbing. And he, you know, there are various times where people are doing things and the clown is mimicking their movements and ugh, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next up is Firestarter. I'm a Firestarter, two-wisted Firestarter. Uh, this is based on a Stephen King novel. Have you ever read okay. much Stephen King? I don't know. Just I read... The Stand. Okay. That's I the read... only thing it is I read. I read all of his books up to the early aughts, I think. Uh, and so I, I saw all of these movies years ago, and... This is probably the first time I revisited Firestarter in quite a while, and I liked it more than I remembered. It's pretty good. Uh, so it, it, this is another MK Ultra thing. There's this guy, and he gets, you know, he's he's subjected to MK Ultra experiments, and they give him psychic powers. Right. And uh, it's it's this great scene where he, you know, he's dosed, and then like his there's this girl next to him and she also develops some psychic powers and the two of them are just vibing together and they hold hands and they're talking to each other through their minds cool. and it like pans around and everybody else is having a really bad trip and the guy across from is like gouged his eyes out and everybody's screaming <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> so they they have a kid and she's drew barrymore very young drew barrymore this is right after et She's like eight. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, and she has pyrokinesis. She can start fires with oh, her mind. She is a twisted fire starter. She is the fire starter. Uh, the first like 45 minutes are awesome, where it's her and her dad running away from the government because they're trying to capture them and kill them and whatever. Right. Uh, it slows down quite a bit in the second half when they are kind of picked up and they're in this place called The Shop and they're just being tested on and stuff. Uh, and very problematic, you have George C. Scott as Rainbird. Oh, no. A, a one-eyed Native American <laughs> who is a pedophile who is grooming works at this establishment and stuff and that that stuff is all very troubling and like they they don't shy away from that being what it's definitely about but it's like the george c scott performance is a lot uh he was probably not the right person to cast for this even though he's, he's going for it i <laughs> think so <laughs> uh but yeah it's it's fascinating and like the fire effects in this are in Incredible. There are so many awesome fire stunts and like the climax where like there's two different climaxes where she is just blowing up a bunch of government dudes and they're both such a great jam. Like they're, nice. they're her shooting fireballs and like there's a guy in a golf cart and he she explodes the golf cart and it goes 50 feet in the air. There's like dummies flying, spinning through the air on fire. Those sequences are all <laughs> worth it. 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, sounds like sounds like fun. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, next up, Doctor Strange. Oh man, this movie. Okay, I know I've said in the past that 3D uh, in the theater is not really, you know, it's 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 overhyped. But this movie in 3D, uh, you're not saying anything. <laughs> I definitely agree with that for the Doctor Strange theatrical film. This is the 70s TV movie. Very Does it obscure. have real good 3D? It uh, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't oh. have a lot of Doctor Strange in it. <laughs> oh. It's sort of the origin story. This was a pilot. They kind of wanted to get a TV series, and it didn't work out. Nobody bought right. it. Right, right. Uh, okay. You got this guy called Peter Hooten. He plays Doctor Strange. And he's just a psychiatrist, a resident psychiatrist at a hospital. So he's not even like a major surgeon the way Doctor Strange kind of classically is. He's not even like... You know, he, he, you know, typically he's sort of like a rock star doctor and he loses the ability to use his hands and there's all this stuff where he has to train. None of that in this. He's just the chosen one. Uh, Someone shows up and is like, you're supposed to be the the Sorcerer Supreme. And he's like, I don't know about that. That seems crazy. I don't believe in that stuff. And then, you know, something happens and he believes in the stuff. So like they they don't really spend a lot of shoe leather on that, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, the wizard fights in this are so fun. They're very lo-fi. They're kind of just animation effects. <laughs> They're right. people in very silly pointy robes. Uh, <laughs> him with like the all the jewels. He kind of looks like Mr. T when he's first oh Doctor Strange. God. <laughs> just a whole bunch of gold necklaces. I don't know what this guy looks like, so I'm just picturing Benedict. Cumberbatch with a mohawk and like dressed up like Mr. T cosplaying as a I pity the foo. Picture more of a white guy afro. You know, the the oh, big curly yeah. afro. That's what this guy is. Um it's got Jessica Walter as Morgan Le Fay. Oh shit, that's the one that's from that movie. Yeah. So okay. she's she's the main villain. Uh she's trying to possess various people and work her way into the real world again uh through the astral plane i like all the stuff on the astral plane a lot very psychedelic effects they're kind of silly but they're also a lot of fun uh it's a little slow but i kind of wish there was a whole tv series based on it because it's it's kind of a fun ambient jam cool cool uh next up is you and the night uh cinderella 2000 <laughs> uh, it's like an, an art house cinderella 2000 uh sci-fi erotica but not really erotic so there's they, they've they've got this room with a sci-fi mood music generator like if anyone is in a particular mood they can go put their hand on the the glass thing and then it'll play a song to like set the scene for their monologue <laughs> okay <laughs> It's about these this group of people who have gathered for an orgy, and this orgy just can't get started. <laughs> like orgy. They're they're it's it's like uh, people have described it as a uh, breakfast club meets eyes wide shut, and that sort of is like it has the everybody hanging out and getting to know each other vibe, and like sort of all learning who each other is over the course of a day, but it's over the course of a night, and it's supposed to be an orgy. All right. But it's all like them having these revealing dramatic monologues about their life. But what's really funny about it 
that what really made me laugh is they have this sequence. The first guy who gives a big dramatic monologue is the stud. And he's okay. talking about how his monstrous penis has gotten into gotten into gotten him into so much trouble over the years, and uh, he loves it, but it's it's been uh, just such a nightmare for him, and it's caused problems. And he's building it up a lot, and he's about to take it out. And then it's like a regular Cody Abilene. Yeah, and he's he's waiting he's he's about to take it out and everyone's like kind of it's really built up and everyone's excited and then the last person shows up and she does a whole thing and she has a dramatic monologue and then someone else freaks out and they have a dramatic monologue and like it sort of kills the mood for everyone and like someone actually says like well you kind of killed the mood and it cuts back to him and he's still standing where he was and like well before you showed up I was going to take my dick out and it's really quite magnificent. So maybe we could do that and we'll see if maybe that gets things going again. <laughs> <laughs> and he does, but it's still like, everything's really slow and everyone's like, Hmm. So yeah. <laughs> and it's just him with his dick out and, you know, a couple people come and touch it and like, okay. And they have some more dramatic <laughs> monologues and like, there's just this really amazing tableau of him standing there with his dick out and like two people on either side of him just, totally motionless everyone kind of looking depressed (laughs) (laughs) it's strange so this is Jan Gonzalez who did uh, Knife Plus Heart okay cool cool kind of that style it sort of feels like the film within the film Mm. a lot of the time for that Uh, and last edition is Flesh Eater which is kind of like a Night of the Living Dead fan film but official okay so the this is written, directed, and starring Bill Hinsman, who was in the original Night of the Living Dead. Uh, are you pretty familiar with the original? Um, I all these living. De- I I always get the Living Dead movies mixed up. Is this the George Romero one? Yeah, this is the original one, like the original okay. original in black and white. Right. You've seen it, right? I I must have. Okay, so at the beginning of the original one, there's the very first zombie you see is the cemetery zombie. Uh, and he's the one who attacks uh, the the brother and sister. Okay, yeah. yeah. Who, are, who are out uh, leaving flowers on, like, their mother's grave or something. Mm-hmm. So cemetery zombie is Bill Hinsman. Okay. So uh, 20 years later, <laughs> in the 80s, he's like... What if uh, I was the main character of Night of the Living Dead and maybe Night of the Living Dead were maybe more of a slasher movie? So it's him as the cemetery zombie again. And there's this dude who's like wandering around on his land and he finds uh, a creepy stone with a pentagram on it. And it's just the funniest scene in the movie to me is this guy uncovering the 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 zombie and unleashing the zombie apocalypse because he is like <laughs> god damn kids oh, grumble grumble oh, what are these college students around here doing this stuff well and he like overturns the pentagram and there's another plaque that's like uh you know you're you're going to unleash the living dead uh, everything someone will kill you and everything around you will turn to evil <laughs> and he's like Ah, these goddamn college kids and their bullshit. And he like overturns <laughs> that too. And then he opens a coffin that he uncovers under that. And then obviously instantly the guy comes out and rips his throat out. And the uh, 
<laughs> zombie apocalypse begins. But it plays much like a slasher because it's mostly this one zombie for a little bit and he just like stalks and gets people. But then all of those people rise up and they move into town. And so you have a bunch of zombies attacking the town, but it still feels like slasher movie style the way they go about it, which is really interesting. Okay. Uh, And then, you know, a lot of the, like the last part is uh, much like the original one where you have locals in, you know, just Pennsylvania shooting down zombies because zombies are pretty slow moving. (laughs) Typically. Yeah. Uh, it's it's fun, but like it's totally a f- an official fan film. Hmm, all right. Cool. So, what do you figure from that ten? Yeah, um, I am. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, none of them really jumped out as like, oh my god, it's this one. Right. There, but, there's no uh, completely iconic thing like Jaws this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? Let's do the fire starter thing. All right. It's it is pretty fun uh and you you really will enjoy the fire stunt sequences. All right. So we've got a handful of additions to the main stacks that we'll just very quickly go through because we're not choosing from those this week. Uh but quickly we've got The Devil Times 5, which is a oh. killer kid movie. Okay. I, I love me a killer kid movie. Uh, this one, there's a van which is transporting some dangerous psychotic children and it crashes on a snowy mountain road. So the kids are set free and they find some vacationing adults and, you know, set upon them. All right. It's kind of cool. Uh, next from uh, the Fast and Furious, of course, we've got Fast Five, which in my recollection was really great. Cool. This is the only one that I saw before that I really liked. Uh, This is the one that adds The Rock, and it's a heist movie. Uh, Everyone's got a very specific role to play, and the thing is, I think they're somewhere in South America, and they're going to steal a bank vault from a police station. Okay, I've seen... I think it's this one. I've seen uh, one of the stunts where there's, like, the vault, and it's got, like, these ropes, and they're trying to pull it with two cars... Right. Yeah, they, they've got two kind of small cars and a huge bank vault and they've got chains and they're just kind of being dragged around by it. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Super great. Uh, from the Herschel Gordon Lewis box next there is She Devils on Wheels, his Lady Biker Gang movie. All right. So it's, you know, it's a bunch of ladies in a small Florida town and they're terrorizing it because they're ladies with bikes. Uh, oh, no. They they they're sexually aggressive. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there obviously there's a rival male gang they battle against and so forth. All right. And uh, last edition is Beauty Day, which is a documentary about the Cap'n video show, a famous Canadian public access Ontario TV series. Oh, OK, OK. Sort of a precursor to Tom Green and Jackass and stuff. You have probably seen the pretty famous clip of when he climbed up a ladder and tried to jump in his pool in his backyard, but he hit the concrete head first and knocked himself out and then landed on a tarp and almost drowned until his neighbor came and saved him. I might Pretty have famous. seen that, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was, he was doing public access, like crazy stunts back in the early nineties on Ontario TV. So it's just a, a documentary about this dude, uh, Ralph Zavadil. 
cool cool so those are the only additions but this week as i said earlier we are choosing from the inactive stacks again because i uh finished another stack right right so i've been looking through it and uh, i've seen the lost boys on here off and on and somebody somewhere some indeterminate amount of time ago that I've only just now recalled the memory of, but not really because I don't know anything about when this happened. Somebody recommended I watch this at some point in my life. That's a pretty good movie. It is uh, Catherine Bigelow uh, who made The Hurt Locker, got the Oscar for that. Uh, This is her 80s vampire boys movies. you got Kiefer Sutherland as the main vampire. You've got both Corey's. Hame and Feldman uh, as the kids trying to hunt the vampires. Cool. This she also pretty... did Detroit, didn't she? Yes, correct. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I remember having a shitload to say about Detroit after I saw that. It's an interesting movie. I, I think yeah. Catherine Bigelow is a pretty interesting director. This is on the more pop end of the scale of her stuff. Like, she also did Point Break a little after this. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's do that one then. All right. So then uh, next week we do The Lost Boys and Firestarter, kind of doing some uh, classic 80s horror for both of those. That'd be pretty fun. Right on. OK. Uh, so any last thoughts before we finish up for this evening? Um, yeah. Uh, just never say I'll get you for this anyone unless you're prepared to unless you're prepared to chase them all the way across the city forever because i realized when he didn't let bill go he wasn't violating the contract of the rules at the time because he said i'll get you for this which sealed him into a pact where he always has to chase after bill yeah Yeah. Uh... so don't say i'll get you for this unless you're prepared to really go for it i guess so uh so uh thanks so much for listening and i'll finish this podcast as soon as i ditch this cop <laughs>